Welcome to Picks and Flicks. This is a podcast where myself, Stephen Pigeon, and my co-host, CJ Welsh, take game and movie pairings and discuss to see if they work against each other in different ways. CJ is a filmmaker and producer, and I work in production and games development. Before we start, I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we occupy and pay our respects to Elders past, present, and emerging. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today's episode is Dead Space and Event Horizon. We are looking at the Dead Space remake that came out this year, 2023, 15 years after the original came out in 2008. In Dead Space, he plays Isaac Clarke, an engineer who's been sent out to a mining ship called the Ishimura to investigate a distress signal and we very quickly come across some gross body horror creatures that are taking over the ship. And Event Horizon is a sci-fi horror movie from 1997. Oh, I don't have the director here. Do you know it's Wes Anderson? That'd be Paul W.S. Anderson. That the, one. The other Anderson. Yes. Um, from uh, So sci-fi horror movie from 1997 starring Sam Neill and Lawrence Fishburne. Um, quick uh, premise, the Event Horizon is a spaceship that was created to experiment with travelling through wormholes and has been missing for many years until now. It's come back and brought something with it. Dun, dun, dun. We are doing sci-fi cosmic space horror for this pairing, and I'm so excited. It's, it's kind of my favourite, the cosmic horror element. I really get into that. Oh, and also, very quickly, we were originally meant to have a guest on this, pod, on this podcast, Syrian. Um, he messaged me yesterday. He had a throat infection and couldn't talk. So he's very sad to be missing out. Syrian, if you're listening, I wish you were here. I can't wait to dive into it. And I can't, I can't wait. We're going to miss all your notes as well. But he, uh, oh, it's going to be so good. We'll, we'll get you on another episode, yeah. So I kind of want to. I want to address the uh, the elephant in the room here. Uh, a lot of people listening are going potentially, if they're into it, are going to want to hear about the fan theory that Event Horizon is some sort of prequel uh, to the Warhammer Forty Thousand universe. Oh, I don't know this theory. Yeah, so Pigeon's like, what? I I have like another. Uh, so when I first watched Event Horizon a few years ago, it was before I'd watched Hellraiser. And even though I hadn't seen Hellraiser, watching Event Horizon, I was like, this feels very Hellraiser to me. And I'm yeah. pretty sure there's a lot of fan theories about Event Horizon and Hellraiser being set in the same universe. Oh, yeah, there's there's a bunch of those. The That one honestly holds a bit more water to me. The the Hellraiser thing, the you can see it in the in, yeah. the, in the way they've done the set dressing and the makeup. Like. And, and like, because and like, it's like very, very clearly, by the way, in case it's not obvious. And again, full spoiler warning, because we'll do like more, more of like a summary breakdown as well. But Event Horizon, like all the characters very specifically describe it as the ship has gone to hell. It's and gone come to back. hell. Yeah. Or like another dimension, but like, but like very clearly like hell and like the ship itself is corrupted, like this hellish evil spirit. Yeah, the use of uh, Latin and uh, the ship captain kind of being like, save yourself from hell, but in Latin, like, yeah. And like, and like the, the design of the, um, I forget what it's called, but that kind of like engine. That the gravity opened, drive. The gravity yeah. drive being like very similar in terms of like the box in Hellraiser. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah. The the, the fan theory for Warhammer 40,000 leans a little bit on that sort of stuff. So that, that gravity drive, uh, the the transporting of the ship through somewhere else this wormhole idea uh and then enabling it to pop out anywhere that's basically how faster than light travel works in the warhammer 40,000 universe it's it's the same thing and so uh for those not in the know the reason it's called warhammer 40,000 is it's set 40,000 years in the future so the fan theory goes that the film event horizon is the earliest canon media what year is event horizon set uh, from memory, 
the ship goes missing in 2047 and they're either, no, it goes missing in 2030 something. Uh, and then they, the film itself takes place in 2047. Oh, that's right. Cause at the start of it, they have like a, like a timeline sequence of events and it's like 2015 yeah. or something. It's like first, like, um, uh, like not long distance, it was like trip to Mars or something. something in like 2015. That, yeah. We 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 were very optimistic in 1997 about where we could go with space travel and and how fast we'd be doing this stuff. So it was meant to be sci-fi, but not crazy, crazy sci-fi. They're like, no, 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 no. This this could be real. It's coming soon, right? So that was from memory. Uh, 2047 is when the film actually takes place. Cool. And so the theory goes that this was the first time that humanity had done a faster than light. Uh, engine that went through what is known in 40,000 as the warp and the warp is where chaos demons live and it's basically hell and so in, is that what it is like in warhammer like yeah that's it's, the, it's hell in that context they're a bit tricky about never calling it actual hell there's a whole thing about like the way gods work in warhammer 40,000 is a belief system empowers them so certainly what we would understand as the concept of hell is what's in the warp whether that's like Christian hell, that's a bit loose. They don't really confirm or deny that. Well, I mean, I suppose that that could be like another um, concept that's fun to dive into is like, you know, a lot of different IPs and and like creative projects doing their own version of like heaven or hell without like specifically referencing like the Christianity version of it, right? Like you look at Doom and Doom Eternal. Have you, we've played Doom Eternal. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And like it, their version of, of going to literally like heaven and hell in those games, but it's not quite like... The Christianity version of it—it's their own way of doing it for their in-universe law. Yeah, and that's that's what's happening here. Yeah, yeah, they're like it's hell, and it's like, well, what about the the nine circles and the devil and blah blah blah? It's like none of that stuff is in there. But yeah. it's 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 a dimension of pure torment and pain, and like playing that's off what you're playing yeah. off like what you would know and expect from hell, but like we're doing our own like fictional, you know, doing our own version of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's that's kind of where that theory leads into is that the event horizon was the very first human ship to enter the warp. And of course it breaks human minds. And that's a whole thing in Warhammer 40,000. And one day, very soon, maybe in the next few years when, uh, Henry Cavill and Amazon get their Warhammer 40,000 show happening, we'll do a whole episode on that, uh, and something else. And we'll, we'll get into it, but I want to be clear. This episode is not about that fan theory. We're talking about Dead Space and Event Horizon. Yeah, but we can dive into fan we, theories. We can, but I feel like if we start getting into that Warhammer 40,000 thing, that's the episode. We're going to do an hour and a half <laughs> on just that. And I'm I'm not prepared to reveal exactly how much of a nerd I actually am yet. I mean, CJ, we're on a podcast talking about films and games. We're fucking nerds. I, I think it's already pretty clear. But if I start talking about like painting minifigures and the rules of yeah. Warhammer and, oh, I think it's- I think I'm it's, here for it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, maybe, maybe. Convince me in the next 20 minutes and we'll see how we go. The other thing I wanted to kind of point out though is that um, Dead Space itself is is a remake. So the, the game or a remaster, the game we're looking at is specifically the 2023 version. So we might make some references to the original, which was from 2008. Um, well, also, fun fact, I never actually finished the original. I played it quite a lot and I got to a, a bit where like you were in it. So I, f- the, I forget the name of the creature that like regenerates and won't actually die. I think it's the hunter. They just call it the hunter. Yeah. Yeah. I was in Although a, technically it does have a name because there's two of them and they were people at one point. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, and like Dr. Mercer, what, what, like a, basically like an evil, like psychotic um, surgeon on the ship, kind of similar to um, 
uh, in Bioshock, there's a crazy psychotic uh, yeah. doctor as well. I, 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 whenever I was playing this with, with this storyline, I was thinking to Bioshock a lot. But he creates this hunter creature, yeah. and like it's his pet, and so like it's it's a whole weird thing. Very cool, very like well done for the narrative. Um, oh yeah, but yeah. I was playing the the original, and I got to a point where like I was in, I think one of the medical labs. Uh, with that monster and I, it was some kind of puzzle in order like to get out of the room and I couldn't figure out the puzzle and I was playing on, a, on like a hard difficulty and the monster kept killing me and I got so frustrated with it that I just stopped playing. And that was it? Yeah. Um, and then like, you know, I would have done other stuff and this was years ago so like I was playing the new one and like a lot of it was feeling very familiar but I'd also forgotten a lot, a lot of stuff and then there was a certain point being like, Okay, I think this is like past the point where I stopped playing, and yeah, it was it was really interesting like going through that experience. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I I never finished the original, and I kind of forgot how far I made it before giving up. Yeah, I made it a lot further than I thought I had. Yeah, it turns out I nearly finished it. I I made it to the point of landing on the planet, which is the end of the game. <laughs> it's the very last chapter, and I I think I either couldn't beat the final boss or I couldn't get through the sequence of rooms where you're getting like waves of enemies. I couldn't get through that. And it might've been that when I was younger, I would often play on really hard difficulties. Cause I was trying to like prove that I was, I was a pro fucking gamer and I could beat any game, blah, blah, blah. Too old for that now. So I'm playing it on easy now. And I, I crushed it and was like, Oh yeah, I definitely would have got frustrated with that and, and abandoned it. I have a question actually. Cause like, I think I'm similar thing. And if I, if I wasn't doing it on a time crunch, like in order to do it in time for the recording, I think I probably would check it on like medium or hard and try and go through. And if I do new game plus, I probably will. But specifically with dead, dead space, uh, dead horizon, <laughs> you <really> said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with, um, uh, you know, because of like the horror and the atmosphere and the creatures and, and like the, the, um, uh, like the tone and like, you know, uh, you know, the horror of it. Playing it on easy versus a harder difficulty, do you think that the tracks or takes away from the horror element? Oh, it's a great question. For me, I don't think it does, but I I can see how if you were playing it on super easy and there's no you're you're no longer feeling challenged by the enemies or, or things like that, it might feel a bit less scary. For me though, I, I'll I'll be playing in pitch darkness yeah. and you know, I tend to get just a little bit high uh, and it, it really, you know, surround sound. Like for me, it's the jump scares and the atmosphere and the tension. Yeah, fully, fully immersing. In yeah, it. yeah. The, the difficulty challenge is only scary a little bit and then it starts to become frustrating. And for me, it actually takes me out of I th- I think the immersion. I, yeah, I, I reckon I tend to agree with that. Like if, if the difficulty ends up being like more of a challenge, it's frustrating, it's not scary. Yeah, like I'm not scared anymore. I'm just angry. I'm but, like, But also it. at the same time, once we come, up, we come across like a new enemy or new like fucked up creature and then you're about to fight it and you don't know what the fuck you have to do, I think that can be terrifying. Oh, absolutely. That, that never goes away. I found the the bits that got me the most and that had me like yelling out loud, even though I had played these parts of the game before is things like, yeah, the lights going out, something pops out of the wall behind you. Like it's those jump scares. It's like when the tentacle like comes out and grabs yeah, you. And you're just not expecting that. Yeah. yeah. That, that shit is scary no matter what difficulty you're playing on. And there's a lot of moments too, where like you might be going through like a dark hallway and the power will go out and you're expecting things to happen, but a creature actually doesn't and appear. It doesn't, yeah. And the game, the game is actually just like fucking with you. Yeah. And it's somehow worse when that happens. Yeah. yeah. Cause, cause <laughs> you, you get all tense and you get all ready and like you're picking around corners ready for like the necromorph to come down and get you. And then, oh, and then, yeah. and then you're just waiting there tense for like ten or twenty seconds, and then the power comes back on, and you just keep going. 
Yeah. It's, it's just like there's a moment that happens and like it'll be a scripted moment and it just adds so much to it. Yeah, that and a lot of the sound design I found really interesting. They did it in both Event Horizon and Dead Space and I feel like this is a, a thing that the the horror genre, no matter what media or what format it's in, leans on is that terrifying sound design. Things like the the doors opening or the yeah. elevators starting sounding like screaming or like yeah. metal screeching like, sounds. Yeah, or, or like the, the metal like clanging and... and yeah. And in, uh, yeah, there's something about that, like industrial space in darkness, and it's not I quite love, right. I love how like heavy industrial mechanical, like yeah. the entire game feels. Yeah, uh, along with that, like, um, like Cronenberg style, like fleshy, organic, real like, body, body horror. horror that's come in and and like meshes with the with the mechanical. Yeah, it's so cool. It, like that reminds me of like uh, you know Alien a lot as well, right? And the thing and all, all, all those like classics. Yeah, and you can kind of tell when. Like it, it doesn't affect everybody the same way, but if you're using it as a tool, as a, as a creative and you're like, okay, well, it's already a bit scary in this way. I'm going to add a bit of flesh or a bit of squelchy noises or something like that. It really can take it to another level. And then someone like me, I, I'm really awful about body horror. I hate it. Oh, you hate it? I, I fucking hate it. love it. But I enjoy it in movies and games because it irks me so deeply. But like, I do have limits. It's funny watching Event Horizon- uh, you know, spoilers, trigger warning, all that. Content warning for everyone. We talk about suicide uh, aspects and, and, and like that and depictions of that. There's the the sort of dream or imagined sequence where Weir is watching his wife kill herself. Yes. The way that she does that is so visceral and the noise. It's, oh, so I think I might've mentioned this when we talked about the thing too. Like, like a lot of like big body horror stuff, I'm fine watching. But when it comes to, when it shows like slicing her wrists or in the thing when they cut like their hands, Ugh. like that kind of thing, I can't, like I actually like can't look at the screen. I can't handle it. Yeah. But then when it's fucked up body horror stuff and like a face is being split in two and, yeah, and, and yeah. bones are coming out, I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, give me more of that. Oh, man. You know what it is? For me, it's eyes. The, the oh, bit yeah. where Weir is like gouging out his own eyes. Oh, that's nightmarish to me. I can't look at that. And like, I know objectively that it's not actually happening. It's a movie. I'm aware of all of that. But, but it, the concept. It, it, it just, it sends that like that, that, that chill down yeah, your spine. The it's, lizard part of my brain is like, nope, 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 nope. It's like, um, I think in like the first episode of Ash vs. Evil Dead, there's a point where like one of the deadites uh, has has like one of her fingernails is like Ugh. growing really long like, like a needle, like right up at someone's eye, like yeah. going in to, to, to stab the eye. And you can see like it's mil- like a millimeter away. And yeah. it's like, oh my That's God. But I get it. I totally understand why it's in there and it works really well. I just hate that specific particular thing. Yep. <laughs> the Event Horizon thing is interesting. So Amazon and uh, I think it's Paramount owns the rights to uh, Event Horizon. And so mm. r- rumors are that there's a TV show on the way. But that was announced in 2019 and there's been zero movement on that. I mean, so, what, so like a remake or a sequel or unclear because I know yeah. I know uh, Paul W. Anderson has actually like made it clear that he's not interested in going back to it. Like it's the yeah. one, it's the one movie he did what he wanted, one and done. I think it probably opens itself up to a sequel, like with the way it ends. Yeah, um, there's definitely room for it to go somewhere else. I'll tell you this much: it was Adam Wingard who did uh, Godzilla vs Kong. Uh, apparently, is on board to EP and potentially direct whatever they're doing. Um, but yeah, the only Kong. announcement was a TV series adaptation 
uh, and it would stream on Amazon as like a prime original. But of course, with Paramount now having their own streaming service, maybe that's changed. Nobody knows. But I mean, regardless of like where it's going to be, just the fact that like an Event Horizon TV show might be in the works is interesting. Like I'd be into it. I, I could see I, that. I'd be, I'd be very keen to see how to do it. I'd, I'd, I'd be so like, it could go anyway. It could be good. It could be terrible. It could be like very average. Yeah. What would you, if you, okay, if you, if you were doing the TV show, or if you were doing another entry into Event Horizon, <laughs> how, how would you approach it? What would you, what would you want to kind of like flesh out and explore and dive into? I mean, I think, especially with TV working a little bit differently from films, I mean, you could argue that TV works more like video games than yeah. films do. The episodic nature is a bit like levels and your character progression is a bit like well, how it's characters like, work. It's kind of like how the Last of Us TV show, like each uh, episode was a chapter from the game, right? Yeah. So if, you, if, like, if Dead Space got turned into a TV show, which I think would work. Which I'm pretty sure is also on the way, maybe? Um, yeah. You know, there's 12 chapters in the game, so that's easily like, you could do 10 to 12 episodes. Yeah. Like you can condense a couple of them in one episode. Like the last two chapters could be one episode. They'd be one episode, yeah. But um, like it's that idea that the... It lends itself to that. But what doesn't is things like solving the big mystery, right? So in an Event Horizon TV show, you might play with where the ship goes because that's kind of the big question is where did it go that it's done this that to these of, people? That kind of thing, though, I, I always think works better when it isn't explained. Exactly, yeah. If you if you open the TV show with like, we're going to tell you what's on the other side of that portal, I, I'll lose they, interest immediately. They, they shouldn't ever actually show or reveal that yeah or if they're gonna show it like little tiny snippets little pieces yeah, give yeah. us a tease it's one of those things where like in terms of um being the creative behind it you should you should 100 know what's there and know how to yeah. explore it and understand it and be like when things come back and like uh, that are revolved around it while you never actually show the audience what it is you share them all the snippets and pieces of like how it does make sense because that's it's kind of like a game design document or like a or like a movie bible or something right? yeah. like you need to have that um, reference point, even though it's specifically never shown to the audience. Yeah, that's it. The creatives have to know the answer. Yeah, uh, and I think a TV show for that. If I were doing that, you would lean into pretty much exactly what they're doing with both Dead Space and Event Horizon, where the monsters are scary and the the circumstances are scary, but what's actually the horror is the people, right? Yeah. So in both. I mean, that, I mean, that's classic in any horror, right? Exactly, yeah. It's got to be, you've got to lean on the people being the scary bit, right? So they've got these these people in positions of authority who know more than they're letting on, right? Like Event Horizon, Weir already has suspicions about where the ship is going. And he already knew about- Weir being Sam Neill's character? Weir Sam Neill's character, yeah. yeah. He, he already knew, he may not have known that it went to hell specifically, but he knew it went somewhere it shouldn't have oh, gone. And, and also, like, even before he steps onto the ship, and, like, I suppose, like, as a, as a summary for the plot, even though, you know, we've already done spoiler warnings, so you, you, hopefully you've already seen it. Yeah. Um, but, like, Sam Neill, we uh, made the ship, and he's already kind of obsessed in, in, with it and getting back to it. And, or, and, like, already, like, seeing flashes of his of his dead wife before even stepping on for the, for the story of the movie um, and then he gets corrupted by the hellish spirit and you know becomes one with the ship mm. and then now I've already forgotten the point that you're getting to yeah, I was I was I'm getting to this idea that like Weir already knows this stuff right but he's not telling the crew and yes. that's that's going to lead to problems right and that and that was a thing being like even regardless of before we know the hellish stuff He's already being shifty. You, you don't trust him. And yeah. I'm pretty sure Lawrence Fishburne's character, um, who's the captain of the ship uh, for the team that they're going, already doesn't trust Weir because like something's up and something's weird. Yeah, exactly. And Dead Space has this similar vibe of, uh, 
you know, again, huge, huge spoilers, but one of your crew members uh, in your little rescue ship. So you, you play as Isaac Clark and you're on this little rescue ship that's gone to find the USG Ishimura because they've lost contact or some such. I can't actually remember what the instigating whatever is, but it kind of doesn't matter. There was, there was like a distress signal. that there was, it was a distress signal, from, yeah. From a, from a ship, like a mining ship, like mining an asteroid and mining a, a planet. Yeah, and so you get there and what you realise right towards the end is that one of the members of your crew was actually a spy for like the Earth government and they knew everything all along. And, and the entire time too, the game actually... Uh, like tries to lean you towards one of the other other members of the crew, Hammond. Hammond, there. It's trying to it's trying to get you to suspect him it, right up until the moment he it dies. actually got me a bit yeah? for that. Yeah, I, I was suspecting Hammond, but then like when you meet up with him, it's pretty clear that like he is just trying to like help. Yeah, and then and then um I forget that the name of the character actually is the EarthGov uh, spy, I guess. But yeah, no, the, and, and like I suppose if you want to talk about the performance, it was done so well in Dead Space. Yeah, I think it's um, Daniels, I'm pretty sure, is the character yes. who's the actual villain. Well, I say villain. There's villain. multiple villains in Dead Space, but Daniels is the crew De- member definitely, who, definitely who betrays an, you. an antagonist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and is trying to like kill you towards the end. Yeah, um, and so like if I was doing the TV show, you would have to have that as your primary driver. You you can have the cosmic horror, you can have the, the creatures, the whatevers, or, or the people who come back all fucked up and they're now trying to kill people, but... The the true enemy, the true antagonist, the true horror is that someone in power knew that this was happening and was willing to throw you in the meat grinder anyway. That's will, the real willing, horror. Willing to throw everyone into the meat yeah. grinder, right? Yeah. I don't know if the show would be... For me, I would probably want to do a prequel. I'm not sure how you could... Unless you're rebooting the entire concept of the film and you made it into like a 10-episode show... The only way to do something that tied into it, given, again, huge spoilers, they blow the ship up at the end... The only way to, to do it would be a Wait, prequel. hang on. Are we talking about Event Horizon or Dead Space here? Well, kind of both, right? Because in both media... The, the, the ship blows up in both of the them The ship as blows well. up. Yeah. And I mean, that's again getting into like... These two things are not direct adaptations, but they are. But they are. Dead Space is Event Horizon. If... if I, I would eat my hat well, if it, it turns out that the people who made Dead Space weren't directly referencing Event Horizon. Or like inspired by Event Horizon. Oh, right? Not even not even inspired by it. Like they watched the movie and went, this would be a sick video game. Like that's what happened. And they just went, we can't license the rights to Event Horizon. So instead we're going to make our own concept. Well, okay. But it, it, it borrows so heavily from those, those established tropes. And Event Horizon was one of the first films to lean into those tropes. Well, okay, that's really interesting. And, and on that, maybe let's try and, and point out some of the key differences between Dead Space and Event Horizon. It's like... You know, Dead Space and it being like you know a video game and designed much more, much more mechanically for this. Mm. It's a lot more about like uh, hugely fucked up body horror. I think if you uh, in that sense more specifically to say the thing that I would say Event Horizon of like you know the weird limbs cut oh, cut yeah. off the limbs like the 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 fucking ugly like scorpion creatures that kind of thing because that kind of thing that's isn't, very isn't, the thing yeah isn't really in Event Horizon that much. Event Horizon is much more like. Uh, taking over your, taking over people psychologically. Yeah. Um, and then towards the end, like uh, Sam Neill's character, when he's fully um, possessed or, or like corrupted, um, gouges out his eyes, his the cuts, all that kind of stuff. But it's not like as mm. um, extremely. There's that one guy who gets, uh, I guess, burned. No, he's he's like spread open surgically. 
Oh yeah, after after Sam Neill does that to him. Yeah. Yeah. There's like that one that one bit of like extreme body horror oh, modification type thing. And, and I love to in a way. And this is this is going to be another thing that I absolutely love about Event Horizon is how like like fucked it is, but then it like it, like so as an example, um, they'll go into like the medical room and they're on the computers and it's all dark and then the lights turn on and they see all the walls yeah. are covered in like splattered blood and skulls and hanging body parts and it's like full like this disgusting surrounding all this kind of stuff and you can see the horror you have all these extreme close ups and all the music and then like. Half an hour later in the movie, you come back to it and you just have two characters like working on the computers and, and talking about like coffee and, 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 and trying to do all this stuff like to get through the mission. And just all around them in this, in this like wide shot, it's all the fucked up stuff. Yeah. But it is working. Consummate and, professionals. And, yeah. And, and it's, it's just a like ex- extreme polarizing tone that was so funny to me. I mean, I think that's, that's part of it, right? Like in Dead Space there's this stuff everywhere, right? This gunk, this like gooey, sticky, whatever. There's multiple moments of like random body parts strewn all over the place. I remember there's one really funny bit in the crew quarters where somebody has stacked individual parts of a body on like a bookshelf. Yeah. I thought it was so fucking weird. But I'm like, that's, that's leaning on that, right? It's this idea that Isaac is surrounded by this, but he has to keep doing the job. He's got to keep pushing the buttons and flipping the switches and that's the gig man and cutting you, off arms cutting off arms if you if you stop what you're doing and acknowledge how completely insane the situation is you would collapse you would freeze and also like the game like regularly takes a moment to acknowledge like how yeah. not, not only fucked up but also like hysterical it is and like having those moments being like none of this makes sense and why would anyone do this in this situation but like it's so fucking weird and, and like and like kind of like when you push it to the, to the extreme it ends up being funny yeah there's there's actually um i was gonna make a note of this both both things have this amazing moment where one of the characters just acknowledges how fucked the situation is yeah so like um event horizon lawrence fishburne's character has this beautiful moment where he watches the video that basically confirms that the crew went to hell all killed themselves like it was chaos he the video ends and he just goes we're leaving immediately i'm out of here this is bullshit we gotta go right yeah it's like it's like a moment of silence and he just stands up and saying we're leaving yeah (laughs) like that's a fucking course like that that is just the reaction you would have yeah and and on that too thinking about um the like the logic in, in event horizon it's one of those movies where all the characters actually like logically do what would make sense. Yeah. Like th- there's no, there's no um, moment of like, oh, we're going to have this character like make this dumb decision because then we can, it allows us to do all the other stuff in the movie. Every character does the smartest thing they can possibly do and it still ends up all fucked up. Yeah, 100%. The, the version in Dead Space, I think it happens a couple times actually, but there, there's an early one uh, where Isaac is just straight up like, fuck this, this is crazy. Like, something is happening and he sees it. And instead of being like, I'm going to save the day, I'm a big hero, man. He's like, what the fuck? Yeah, he's like, this is insane. He's an engineer. Like, okay. Yeah. He's tough as nails. He's an engineer, but he's just a guy. He yeah. sees people getting ripped apart. He's, and he's, he's like, he's just, oh, a, no. he's just a dude. Yeah. He's not, he's not geared up for this. I mean, that was also one of the things that um, was really, was really funny to me too. So like, you know, um, dead space and, and Isaac Clark in it has like that classic iconic dead space suit. Oh yeah, the helmet and everything. Yeah. yeah, and whenever he takes it off in a cinematic, and you just see like like 
he just looks like some fucking guy. Yeah. But also, like, he is just some fucking guy in, in the world, right? Because he's an engineer. He's just an engineer. He's not, yeah. like, a soldier or anything. Like, he's been sent out to repair a ship. And then, like, he's ended up being in this fucked situation and just had to do it. And, like, while he does look like just a random guy who, who why would you give a shit about, like, in any capacity? But then because of that, in the context of the narrative, it works so well. Yeah. The bit... It, right at the very end, he takes his helmet off and you get like a good look at his face and he's just covered in like sweat and grease and he just looks tired and you're like, yeah, bro, I feel you. By the way, and and um, for bonus context for listeners, when I, so we were recording at CJ's place and I walked in this morning, he was finishing the game. He was literally right <laughs> at the very end and they had the ending cinematic. Listen, I'm a busy guy, all right? I'm up against oh, the I, wire. Oh, I don't blame you. I, I, I just thought it was great that like I could be here to witness that. Yeah, it was wild that they, I, I kind of knew what was going to happen where, you know, you, you sort of get to that final cinematic and you're, you get your big, you, you get your sigh of relief. We did it, Isaac. We fucking lived. We made it. And then there's like one final jump scare just to be like, keep you on the edge of your seat. Fuck you. It's not over. Yeah. So do you know, this is new for the remake. There's an alternate ending. <sighs> if you, uh, I think, I, f- I forget if it's if you beat it on New Game Plus or if you beat, I think it is New Game Plus because if you beat it on Expert Mode without dying, you get like the master level suit or whatever. But the ultimate ending is that last cinematic. Um, instead of him there and like the dead wife jump scare, all of the um, the cabin of the ship is on is covered in like the symbols of the marker oh, and all perfect. this kind of stuff. Isaac is very clearly like taken over by it. He's, yeah. got, he's got like this um, hysterical like smile and grin on his face. He's straight up talking to to his dead wife. He's like, "There is a vision." And he's like, and she's like, are we going home? And she's like, soon, I've got to build something first. And I think you're going to like it. And it's basically leading into like, you know, the next Dead Space stuff. He's going to make another marker. Um, but he, like, he's fully taken over, much like Sam Neill at the end of Event Horizon yeah. is fully taken over. It's like, if you look it up on, on YouTube, it's really I'll have cool. have to check it out. I, I, it is that, um, that's that trope, right? That like, even if you, like if you did want to do an Event Horizon sequel, for example, you could because they do give you that right at the very end. The horror is not over, and that's yeah. a that's a standard horror trope is that it's never truly over, right? You could do it. I don't know how you would do it. Calling it Event Horizon if the ship is gone is a bit on the nose, you know. That's yeah, but I mean, I mean, I mean, the name of the franchise versus like the ship in the movie, like, and everything is is built off the first one. Right? I think naming Event Horizon is fine. You, you could get away with it, but I do feel like it'd be it'd be a bit of a stretch. I'd, I'd hate to do some bullshit line somewhere in the movie where somebody had, or in the TV show where someone has to like remind the audience. They do, they do the know. thing where they name the title in, in yeah, the yeah. Oh, oh my God. Oh, we, uh, this is all, uh, this is all happening because after the events of the event horizon, Oh, they did it. They, they did, did it. it. They, they, they said, said, they said it. the thing. I would hate to do that, but I, you know, Oh, I'd lean in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I don't, I, I like, I, I always hate how cheesy it is. But I'm also like, I couldn't resist. It's so I would, I would, I would have to find some way <laughs> in anything I make to have like one of the characters say the name of the product. Oh no, we are stuck in the dead space. In the in the space that's dead. You mean the dead space? Yeah, I think the, the dead space have characters like say it three times. Oh, the dead space. Are we in dead space? Do you oh, know what? dead space. I've just remembered they do actually do that in the game. Yeah, I know. I forget. I forget when in the context, but they someone actually says the words dead space. Yeah, and I remember playing it, and in my in my head, I was like, oh, they did the thing. It's right towards the end, which is why it's fresh in my mind because yeah, I just finished it. There's, it's right before that last level. I think it must be chapter eleven. It's an audio log. 
And in the audio log, one of the characters directly says, like, the space between the somethings, you mean the dead space? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, oh, God. All right, I get it. The cosmic horror comes from the dead space. Cool, I cool, cool. fucking love it. I mean, I understand why people hate it because it's so tacky, but I think I... I weirdly love leaning into like the the cheesy terrible tacky stuff sometimes you need it i guess i, th- I will say right event horizon like, is like, fantastic. like that's that's objectively a bad thing to do i'm gonna recognize it is that a bad thing from, to do. from the get-go but i think because it's so obviously bad is why i like it yeah sometimes you need that that cringe to give you a bit of a, a breath when it's a bit much so like i found the beginning of Event Horizon, the opening music and the opening titles are weird. Very 90s. I was like, yeah, okay, this didn't age well. Oh, uh, but also like, and, and like the CGI of like the of like the watch and the water bottle. Yeah. And like the zero gravity. It's very clearly like old VFX. Yeah. But it's also like, oh, no, nah, fuck yeah, let's yeah, go. Yeah, I was like, I get it. But then, oh my goodness, the credits, the music for the credits oh for God. Event Horizon is the peak 90s. Oh, it's, a, it's it's like a nineties like electric club. It's it's that Euro techno trash. It's it's ridiculous, and I loved it. The second it started playing, I was like, "Fuck yeah, great movie! I love it." The, the second it starts playing, like, "Oh yeah, this is a movie from the nineties." Yeah, yeah, it's I feel a, it. Yeah, I feel it in my soul. I I got to point this out. Actually, it's really funny. I'm looking at the IMDb page for Event Horizon now. I very rarely rate stuff on on IMDb, but I have rated Event Horizon. So IMDb. Wait, when, okay. But for context, when did you rate it? Like, was this recently no or was this years this ago? This had to have been years ago. Oh, this had it, to have been like oh, early IMDb. So what did you rate it? So the average IMDb rating is a six point six out of ten. Right, that's pretty pretty standard these days, and it it sort of marks I the suppose, film as. I not suppose being also for context for that like general rating, right? Is like Event Horizon is is very much like a cult movie or cult classic movie. Yeah, I'm pretty sure when it came out, it bombed, but like it's got, it's gotten like a dedicated following. Yeah. Like years after since. If you look at the the Rotten Tomatoes, it's a similar vibe of like the critic score is garbage, but the audience score is awesome. Yeah. So this is a 6.6 doesn't sound great if you're not savvy on IMDb, but it actually is. 6.6 is like that's a marker of a film that's pretty good. It's not incredible, it won't change your life, but, but it's, it's not also bad. not terrible. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of 6.6, it's pretty mid. It's not. Okay, so what did you rate but it? But I rated it nine out of ten. Yeah, fuck yeah. I was As like, you should. I, I must have seen this at some point when I was younger. Actually, I can tell you what actually happened, right? I, I must have rewatched this in my teens, and that would have been when IMDb was around early on. Yep. So I've given it a nine out of ten. I loved it, right? But when I first watched this movie, it was one of the earliest films I think I've ever seen. Really? And it, it rocked me to my core. Wait, so how old were you when you first watched it? I think I saw this when it came out in 1997. So I was like- So you would have been like a young kid. I was like 10. Fuck. So for seeing, context- Seeing this kind of movie at 10 would fuck you up. If you're not sure what we're talking about here, this film is a, an R rating that is well earned. Oh, yeah. Like, okay. Like this, this movie doesn't- I mean, I gave the, the suicide content warning earlier. This, yeah. this movie does not shy away from anything. It is a, it is a well-earned R rating. And so I'm pretty sure- I'm going to blame my dad for this, but I'm pretty sure this was another film that dad showed me way too early. But I must have been like 10 or so. I have a memory- of being in the cinema and the one of the earliest scenes, and I, I tried to hide between the seats and watch it like through the gap yeah. between the seats, and I think I couldn't do it. Oh. I think I think I ended up not finishing the movie at that point because like, I must have gone back when I was older and finished watching the film. What you're describing, like objectively, is a is a traumatizing experience for a young child. But 
weirdly, me hearing this, I'm like, this is like, I love everything about this. This is this is how I would want to raise my kids. Blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. And because I remember too, if I think about like a similar thing, like the, like the, like most adult horror movie I watched when I was younger. So I was definitely too young to watch. And like, you know, growing up, I was, I was into Goosebumps. I was into Trias of Horror Simpsons. I was reading, like, I was already very clearly into like, I was reading like Darren Shan vampire books and that kind of stuff. But when I was in grade five, so I would have been like 10 or 11, I watched 28 Days Later. Oh, yeah. And that movie is too much. Too much. For, for, yeah. for a 10 year old. And, and like, that movie straight up gave me nightmares. Um, and like, I didn't, I didn't watch that movie for years after I didn't watch Saw for years. Cause like I heard it was all gore stuff and, yeah. and like 28 days later, I think put me off movies that are very specifically like gore and torture porn. Yeah. Um, but you know, I watched 28 days later again recently. Uh, and there's definitely like some, uh, themes in that movie that like aren't great. Uh, but it's, it's not as traumatizing to watch it as a fully prepared adult. Yeah. 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 And like, Shockingly. And, and like as, a, as, as like a good zombie movie, I'm like, Oh yeah, this is, this is fine. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think for me it was a core memory, and it it it's probably why I got into horror stuff early on. Yeah, is that I, I think most people who are into horror like have been into horror something since like they were that, kids. right? Yeah. yeah, it 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 awakened something in me that was terrifying, but I was fascinated by how terrifying that was and what it felt like to be terrified. But but know that it's I was kind safe. of it's it's kind of like exhilarating. Yeah, like I didn't want to be in danger but I did want to feel like I might be in danger and horror does that really well. And I found dead space leans on that so heavily as a, like the game mechanics are built to give you that sensation. You're armored up. You've got all these guns. Like you can, you know, well, I shouldn't say guns. Realistically, you've got engineering tools that have been jury rigged into being guns, Yeah, which again happens in event horizon. They both do that, but it's fascinating because what are the, what are the tools they use in event horizon? Oh, the very end. Um, Lawrence Fishburne's character gets hold of uh, it's some sort of tethering tool. It's it's either a medical device or a hull repair device. I can't remember which. Oh, yeah. But okay. it's the thing that fires like the weird grappling hook thing. Yep. And that's what blows out the window and and ends up spacing um, Weir Sam Neill's character. So like that thing he grabs is not a weapon. It's not meant to be a gun. No. It's something he's turned it into a weapon. So they both do that thing where they give you these things, these tools to make you feel powerful. And you're watching, yeah, this is it. This is the room. They're going to kick ass. But it's still not quite enough. You know, you wish you had a shotgun, but you're not going to get one because that's not what this is. Yeah. I think that was brilliant. It keeps you on the edge of your seat. And I think Dead Space right at the end finally gives you all these like overpowered as shit upgrades. But but for 90% of it, you're like, yeah, you're, oh my you're god! You're using, um, I forget what it's called, but that first weapon you get, like plasma the, cutter, the, the line cutter, whatever yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. Uh, where you can change it to be like vertical or horizontal. Like, I absolutely like love that, that thing. That, that's the weapon I use the entire game. That's the one I fully upgrade. Like it's so yeah. good. Yeah. Uh, on that note too, actually, so like in Dead Space, when you have when when you send out a distress beacon to like get help, and you have the military ship that's nearby and comes in, and they pick up the escape pod with, yeah, with Chen who's infected right. and like fucks them all up. You don't see like, you don't see anything happen with all like the military soldiers of actual guns get fucked up. You're coming after the fact. Yeah. Um, Cause like while that is, while that would be really cool to explore. And if you look at like alien and aliens, that's what aliens is. It's much more like the heavy geared. There's hundreds of them instead of one. Let's see how that plays out. Yeah. But like dead space and event horizon are clearly like, scrappy just trying to make it by and like this thing fucked up all the soldiers how the fuck are you gonna overcome it yeah that moment still was also just so cool to kind of like explore and witness and and kind of like 
like from the perspective outside of it and coming in after and seeing like, oh, holy shit, what the fuck happened here? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's kind of what, um, you know, the, the, the thing that makes me feel like Dead Space is a spiritual successor to Event Horizon is those elements of uh, a crazy, horrible thing has already happened. You're coming in on the tail end of that mm. and you're unprepared and it's mm-hmm. not what you thought it was and it's so much scarier than that. And then you've got this like this authority figure or somebody who knows more than they're letting on. And if they had just told you up front, you could probably have solved this much easier. Well, I mean, also if they told you up front, you probably would have just fucked off, right? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? If 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 Lawrence Fishburne's but character knew what Event Horizon was all about, he would have just blown the ship up. Isaac probably wouldn't have fucked off. I mean, like, if he knew that his wife was already dead by the time the game starts, maybe he, he would have been different. But, like, I feel like he would have gone to try and, like, find out or do something regardless. Yeah, I wonder if that's Isaac's character is just he's inherently a guy who wants to do the right thing as opposed to he's just a guy who's trying to survive. Yeah. Like, is he a hero? Is he a natural hero? I don't know if we really get into that in the first game. I don't think at the start at the start of the game he, he isn't. Like, like, the events of Dead Space, like, force him to become that character type, right? Yeah. Um, he's just an engineer. He's here to do a job. You know, yeah. he's, his wife is on the ship and he's looking forward to seeing It was her. so good, like, because there's moments on the ship where, like, you know, your wife is there and doing stuff with you. And the game is, has, by that point, clearly established that, um, like, the marker and and, and what's, hap- what's causing, like, all the necromorphs mm. to happen, like, fuck with people because they're seeing, like, dead people. Like, Daniel's is seeing her dead brother. Hammond is seeing other uh, people too. When you see, I think, what, what's her name, Nicole? Nicole, yeah. Yeah, when you see Nicole, like, Isaac's, wife uh, I, th- I think it's I mean to me anyway it's like okay well clearly like Isaac is hallucinating and and seeing like what the marker and all this kind of stuff wants him to see what I didn't realize though is that like Nicole was actually a real human uh, or like real other character it's like yeah Isaac was seeing her as his wife so yeah that's right she's, yeah she's not a she's not a hallucination he's hallucinating who she is but she is a real person yeah which, yeah. Is, which is why like she's able to actually like interact with things right like and, and then also so like because i finished the game and then i um started playing on new game plus again and like the very first thing you see when you start the game is that video of yeah of his wife talking to isaac and that plays out through to the very end and at the end of the game he plays it through again and, and it's like the tying it's like the core thing that ties Isaac through the entire game and yeah. the way it's handled and the way it's written is just so well done. I do I do want to actually point something out as well. I realized I was meant to say this earlier in my notes and I forgot. Uh, it is possible that uh, the game Dead Space is an interpretation or a spiritual adaptation, shall we say, of Event Horizon, but also it's possible that Event Horizon is a adaptation or spiritual uh, ancestor to a film from 1991, which is also called Dead Space. Wait, what? There's a 1991 Dead Space movie? <laughs> yeah, there is. And get this, it's about a deadly virus that attacks the crew of a Saturn space station. It's directed by a guy named Fred Gallo. Uh, and interestingly, it stars, get this, Mark Singer and Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston Brian is in a Cran- fucking Dead Space movie from 1991? What, what the actual fuck is happening? It certainly is. Yeah, it's a really weird and obscure deep cut that hardly anybody has seen, and it's one of those. I'm I'm gonna look it up. You gotta I, look I, it up. Is is it available to watch anywhere? Uh, I actually don't know. Uh, I'll tell you in just a second. But the it's one of those movies. There's like a genre for this, right? Where it's a great movie to put on on mute in the background during a house party. 
Oh, okay, cool. It, I'm into that. It has that kind of vibe, yeah. right? Uh, it is not available for streaming anywhere in Australia. So do with that information what you will. Cool. All right. I know I know how to get around that. Uh, but I, I will say this, right? It doesn't appear to have any direct correlation with Dead Space, the game. Well, considering it, it, this is like, what? Dead Space is 2008. So this is like 17. 17 years, right? Or 16 I, years. I, I think. Yeah. My mouse is bad. But if no. they lifted anything directly, it was the name, right? They they know that there's a. So so what what's the movie actually about? What happens in it? <laughs> I need uh, you brought it up now. Okay. You, you need you need you need to give me the the full experience. Okay. So okay. Uh, have the, you seen it? I have seen it. The film Dead Space is basically the thing, but on a space base in on Saturn. Oh fuck yeah! And I think that's partly why it wasn't super well received. Is it's it's a not super well done ripoff of the thing. Yeah. Okay. And, like it's, and it's what, very this, much this trying thing to do. Came that. out like eighty one. I yeah. think, Right. So this is just ten years later. Yeah. It has a three point four out of ten on IMDb, and that nice. is in fact a pretty indicative rating of of what it's about. But the, like that kind of rating too, like it like like three or less means it's it's so bad. That it might like, actually be good. I, like, yeah. I have to I have to actually see just how bad this is. So. I'm 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 building to a thing here that we'll we'll get to, but basically the the film itself is yet yeah, there's a there's a virus that comes out uh, on this space base. They find it on the planet or something like I can't remember. It was like found in a rock or whatever. It starts to infect the crew. Uh, they turn into monsters. Nice. So I think I think like uh, like the original like novella of the thing is a similar thing. Where like yes, it's, it's it's a rock or some kind of like meteor. Yeah, that's causing all the shit to happen. And so you can kind of. You can see pretty clearly where the video game Dead Space has taken like- With the marker? Yeah, things like the marker. You, oh, I see that. Okay, the yeah. name Dead Space. Okay, yeah. It turns the crew or the whatever into monsters. Okay, yeah. But at the same time, I don't think there's any plagiarism happening here. I think it's it's one of those like Dead Space is a love letter to horror sci-fi films in general. Yeah. And the name just works really well. Yeah. It's just brilliant. What's going to be interesting coming full circle, right? So if Dead Space, the film from 1991, is a thinly veiled ripoff of The Thing, which was John Carpenter, there's rumors that John Carpenter is going to direct a Dead Space movie. Really? Which is an adaptation of the game. So we've come full circle and John Carpenter is going to do a movie adaptation of a game that was loosely inspired by a film that was loosely inspired by a film that John Carpenter made. Oh my god! Okay, holy shit! I need I need to process all of this. So, <laughs> it's such a beautiful thing that I found. I was like, I have to bring Wait, this so up. Is it a Dead Space movie like adaptation from the game that yes, he's doing? Yes, it holy is. Shit. Uh, I can't remember exactly. I had no idea this was happening. Yeah, I don't know when this. It was announced like this year. Like it was early this year in conjunction with the game getting like talked Re- about like and coming remade. out. Yeah. Um, so, so it was John Carpenter himself has talked about doing this, right? He, I know he, he has played the Dead Space games and he is interested in doing this thing. John Carpenter, I, I saw a, a, an interview or something uh, a little while back because he plays a lot of games um, and like he loves horror games. And I think someone asked him in an interview if he would like work on a video game and he said he'd love to, but no one's asked him. Yeah, that's basically it, right? He was like, um, I would do it, but no one's asked me yet. So my understanding is, that there, there is or, or definitely was at some point late last year slash early this year a Dead Space film in the works, right? And he found out about it. They probably rang him or whatever and was like, would you want to do it? He probably said, maybe write me a script or whatever and we'll have a conversation. Yeah, like send me through like, what, like you yeah. know, the vision, what it looks so, like. So he's aware that the film is in development, but nobody else is at this point. And then in an interview, he let that slip. 
Oh, and so no. what seems to have happened is the fan base now has kind of turned that around and gone, it has to be John Carpenter. If it's going to be anyone, it has to be. So now- That's a double-edged sword. Right? Because like it, it could work in its favour, be like a, a, a good way to like get people excited and on board for it. But at the same time, if it's very early just in conversation and nothing's actually been set in stone yet, that can be like a nail in the coffin. It, it can kill it, yeah. And like as, as producers, we can pretty much confirm like- when something like that happens, it it's can- either one of two ways. There's yeah. no in between. It's either this is perfect and it's going to do exactly what we want, or this just torpedoed any chance of us actually doing this. Well, because that's the thing too. Like they like n- now, like if it is going to happen, it can only happen in one specific way. It's killed any other possibility of, yeah. of it being made. Because now that people think, oh, John Carpenter is going to do this Dead Space movie, if they announce anyone who isn't John Carpenter. Then the fan base, you know, imagine this, right? The, the I mean, it could still work if they. If it they, could still work. It could still like, work. But the idea would be, I'll bet you there'll be a hashtag on Twitter about how it's it's not John Carpenter's yeah. Dead Space. Blah blah. The blah, entire blah, conversation blah. would be revolving around John Carpenter. Exactly, kind of kills it, right? So now, if you're the studio making the thing, you're sitting there going, "God damn it!" Now we have to get John Carpenter, which oh which it'd be more expensive now too. He can now charge whatever the fuck he wants because he, he's, he's sitting there he's going, "He's the one oh. who, who who like I mean, probably didn't sign one, but like broken NDA leaked it and." now he can be like fucking pay me millions that's right everybody wants me to do it you want me to do it we all know what, what, a, we're doing what, a, what a fucking loose cannon i kind of right? i kind of gotta respect him holy shit i mean that's that's the hustle right he knew what he was doing and maybe he didn't maybe it's an he accident he probably didn't like i don't i don't <laughs> know like, john carpenter personally he might have literally just been talking smack you know during an interview and he didn't mean to do it at all but i'll bet his oh agent is like God. you fucking genius you're going to get bank out of this. And maybe he doesn't need the money, but that's kind of not the point. I don't right? think, I, I mean, oh, who knows? Because John Carpenter, because he doesn't make, he doesn't earn any money off the thing. Yeah, that's right. With, yeah. And, and and like he, he's actively like pissed off about that. And he's mentioned that multiple times. Like he loves people, love it, but he's he's not getting a cent from that movie because like the, the he doesn't own the IP or any, yeah. any of the distribution like another company does, even though it's his fucking movie. Tragedy, but that happens, that happens a lot. And it used to happen a lot more in, especially in film and especially horror where- you know, you would have to give away a lot of your rights as the creative in order to get the thing made. Yeah. These days, one of the, you know, I teach, uh, well, I don't teach anymore, but when I was teaching film students, I was adamant that an all rights deal is not a good deal, right? You you want to retain your intellectual property yep. because that's the value. The film or the TV show is a single product that people will either consume or not, but the concept can live on forever. You can do you can do yeah, spin-offs. As long, as, long as you have the IP. If you own the IP, you can do books, you can do comics, you can that's sell why, t-shirts, that's whatever why you want. I think um, it's either Friday the thirteenth or Nightmare on, on Elm Street. One of them has been stuck in like an IP lawsuit battle for years. And it's why none of the movies have been on any streaming service anywhere because it's been this ongoing thing happening. It's also why like every other classic horror movie from the 80s is getting reboots, but Friday the 13th isn't. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's because of this like years long uh, like IP lawsuit that's going on between the ownership of that IP and you know, that oh, franchise. Yeah. It's it's wild. I mean, I, I do run workshops. I think, right, I think it's Friday you know, the 13th. Yeah. I talk about some of this stuff as, as what we call chain of title. Uh, in yep. the industry and about locking your train of title up like knowing what it is and understanding how to retain control of it because yeah if you have a million dollar idea and you sell it for a million dollars you think you've done a great thing here but you've actually ripped yourself off because a million dollar idea if you own it you can leverage it into being a billion dollar idea yep you know if you if you give away the whole thing you know, if you give away the cow- You should always hold on at least a slice. Exactly. If you give away the whole cow, somebody else is milking it and they're making cheese and they're selling milk and they're selling all the stuff and you're getting nothing. You're getting your one paycheck, right? 
So I feel like potentially it, it's, it's really hard, right? Because like a lot, of, there's there's a lot of examples through where like someone's trying to like make their first project, yeah, and in order to get it off the ground, they need to do, yeah. they might need to do a deal like that. So like, and it's one of those things where like, okay, maybe your first project shouldn't be your your like baby or like your 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 best one, your magnum but, opus. But, yeah, but at the same time, you want to make something really good to establish yourself, and then it's a kind of, it's kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place. And if you need to like make a deal that's not great for you in order to get your project up and establish it yourself versus establishing like the IP and the project you're making. It's always like a really hard, really like nail biting decision. Yeah. There's never an easy answer to it. No, I mean, that's the thing. There's never an easy answer. I do think when you see stuff like what we're seeing now, right? So things like the game dead space is getting remade and I hope they remaster the other ones, right? Like I hope they do the lot. Part of me questions, did anyone who was one of the key creatives on the original Dead Space, did they get paid again when they remade it? Or well, did they not own any of that was, IP? There, there was a bit of a, uh, this is a different game, but there was a bit of controversy around, I think, the Metroid remake where none of the original devs were credited. Yeah, I think it was interesting. Getting paid is one thing, but getting credited, like if, if, if what you've done, and this is an interesting difference here, the Metroid remaster, which I also just finished playing it, is very good, is... There's a whole thing in there where it's not just a remaster, it's effectively a remake. They yeah. built that game again from the ground up to make it work. That's kind of- I mean, so, so is the de- Dead right? Space it's one, Dead right? Space, right? Yeah, like it's a full, like, from the ground up rework. Right. And then so you go, okay, I can see why the people maybe who worked on the textures don't need to be credited again because we didn't use any of their but like work. The, but like the original like core creatives should be, right? right? Because like it's, it's, it is what they built exactly. and wrote the and writing. Created. The, the the narrative beats are all still there. All the same like design. The mechanics. level design, that's all the mechanics are still there. Yeah. I mean that's the interesting part about when you're doing a remaster versus a remake, right? And these terms often get confused. If you're looking at a remaster and all they've done is like upscaled the textures to 4K or they've added higher res, yeah, which, which would be like what they did with like you know Halo Anniversary Edition, right? Like yeah, that's a remaster. That's a remaster, right? And so you expect that everybody who worked on the original is going to be in those credits again yep. because it is a remaster of their work. But when you're getting a remake, it is kind of a new game, but it is also the old game. And so because, because, where do you draw that yeah. line of who gets credited and where does that end? I still think so. Like you know, individual. Uh, you know, maybe like QA testers for the original game, that kind of stuff, probably like aren't as necessarily needed to be credited in like the remake. Mm. But you know, it plays on a lot of the of the keys, so like the writing and the art direction and the mechanics and the and the design of like how like the chapters and, and like shooting off limbs and boss fights and all that kind of stuff. Like the people who came up with that for the original game, that's like still a lot of the core stuff that's present in the remake, right? Yeah. So like, if it wasn't for that, we wouldn't have the new game. Not only that, but the they're the reason that the first game worked, right? So that idea of, yeah, we wouldn't have the remaster. It wouldn't have even come across people's minds to think about remastering or remaking this game if the first and original wasn't so popular. And it, it, it bring, you bring up a, an interesting point too because I don't know what the um, development team and the, and the core team behind the remake was, but I know that there is devs from the original who didn't work on it because they have went away. I think like the... the um, art lead from the original I forget his name but like he started the studio and they just put out the Callisto Protocol and that that game is former Dead Space devs 
Oh, wow. Basically doing like their own version of Dead Space without EA coming in to do their thing. Um, oh, yeah, you're right. I heard about that. Yeah. So I, I just bought the, the Callisto Protocol as well and, I'm, and like I'm going to start playing it. And like, i got to give it a crack. Right. It, it looks very clear like a, like a game that's been like designed by like artists mm. because it looks amazing. It is, it is an interesting dilemma here. I'm, I'm looking at the credits, just the really rough key creative ones. But if you look at the original Dead Space, you know, 2008 – Looking at that, it, the writers are listed as Warren Ellis, Anthony Johnston, and Rick Remender. Remender? And none of them are credited as writers on the remake. And that's fascinating to me. because be. I, I think I think writers in particular should what, be. What big narrative sweeping changes were there that they needed to credit a whole different team of writers? To be fair, to be fair, I haven't checked the credits of the actual game. I'm one of those annoying fucking people <laughs> who fast forwards them. But- for example, Warren Ellis, I'm a huge fan of Warren Ellis. He is a comic book author and a fucking genius, this guy. Okay. He is a loose unit British wizard living in the fucking urban wilderness of wherever he is in London or something. Dude is crazy. His Twitter account's amazing. The stuff he writes about in his comics is amazing. Check him out. Part of why Dead Space works, I, I would bet money it's because of Warren Ellis's involvement. So then I'm like hoping, his involvement with the original one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm hoping that he is credited in the end game credits, at least if not on the public IMDb, because his, his fingerprint is very clearly on dead space as a concept. And it's weird to do a remake or a remaster where you're like, it's the same game, but better. And then you're not going to credit like one of the key people that made it what it or, is. Or, or, you know, at least acknowledge it. Right. Yeah. Like that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. We did point out something which I hadn't, I actually hadn't remembered until we sat down to do this, which is that in the original Dead Space, Isaac doesn't speak. He just grunts. He has yeah. what they call efforts. Yep. And in the new remaster, he's the fully remake, voiced. he's fully voiced. He's he has fu- lines. Like his fully voiced dialogue is done for, for the remake. Yeah. Um, so you can tell there's clearly some writing that had to happen and that required new writers. But then looking at it, I'm just sitting here going, they didn't change the plot of the game. No. So then the original writers should absolutely still be credited, right? And like the way, and like to be fair, the way that they've done Isaac's dialogue in the game for it to work and make sense works like compl- like flawlessly. Yeah, I think like it's it. They've done a phenomenal job of it. Um, but it is interesting because like that court, that that key like overarch- overarching narrative is still like I mean the entire game is still like built off the premise of the first game. It's yeah. why it's a remake. Yeah. Yeah. They can't they can't fuck with that too much. But it, it is fascinating to me anyway. Like if you were gonna do, for example, an event horizon TV show. Oh, okay, actually I just, are you crediting the people who did the movie? Well Or are you your own thing and you're like, Yeah, 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 we're a sequel or a prequel, whatever. Totally different team. Because that's think, not a remaster or a remake. You're you're leveraging existing IP, right? Let's think of like a, a like another existing example, right? So you know, we've had the new like Jurassic World movies based off like the original Jurassic Parks. I forget who wrote them. I know Steven Spielberg directed you, the originals. You forgot who wrote Jurassic Park? Yeah. I'm going to melt your brain. That was Michael Crichton, one of the greatest sci-fi authors of all time. Because uh, he wrote the book? Did he Did he write the script for the movie? I'm pretty... Oh, you know what? You're calling me out here. I don't know. But he definitely <laughs> wrote the book. Michael Crichton wrote the book. Okay. He's right. written some of my favorite... So Mike, like, what was his last name? Michael Crichton. Crichton is Michael Crichton credited on all the Jurassic Park movies? I'm pretty sure he is. Yeah, because oh, <laughs> it's one of those like when you when they adapted it. Oh, because they would have optioned the movie. They had the, to option the book, the book. and yeah. so every sequel, even though this is like a very crafty little. If you're if you're an aspiring filmmaker slash author out there, when you're doing an option, 
you want to include any sequels or spin-offs as part of the option agreement because when they're optioning your book do you want, do you want to quickly explain like what optioning a book yeah is? so so optioning a book is is done usually by a producer or potentially a director or a film studio they read a book they love it and they say this is going to be a movie or a tv show or a video game whatever right you have to option it and what that means is you're paying the author usually a token amount it's never massive but you're, you're giving them a small amount of money for the rights to then develop and produce and distribute something else based on that book. And people will, will like, if they see a book is doing well, they'll, they'll quickly option it just so that they, just so they, they have the exclusive filmmaking rights and no one else can get yeah, it. Yeah, like, it can get crazy. I'm pretty sure Spielberg optioned Jurassic Park, like I think minutes or hours before James Cameron wanted to do it as well because James Cameron was going to do something similar to Aliens yeah. with dinosaurs, right? Yeah. Uh, but Spielberg beat him to it and we got Jurassic Park. But like, that's, and uh, the only way that actually worked is because he beat him and got the option. Yeah. And that, that does get pretty insane. These days, uh, if I go to a film market trying to pitch for distribution or looking for projects, there are whole segments of the market that are just book publishers who are giving me pre-release copies of books that are not out to the public yet so that I can read them early and decide if I want to option them. So you'll often find a book will come out and, you know, someone will read it and go, God, this is amazing. I, they should make a movie and it's already in the works. They're already making that film. Or it's not in the works and it's not going to be in the works because whoever has optioned the movie isn't doing anything with it and no one else can do anything with it because they can't legally. Yeah, and that's the other, the sort of snakier side of this whole process is that when you buy this thing... It's like, it's like um, uh, I think I, I forget which episode I mentioned it in, but the Uncharted movie and Mark Wahlberg is because he... Op- he I don't know if it's the same lingo for like with a video game and optioning the rights for filmmaking it will be yeah yeah but he did that with uncharted like he got the filmmaking rights which is why he's in it it's i already explained it because he wanted to play nathan drake he wanted it he wanted to have that movie and be in it and that's exactly. why that happens so there's 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 an element even darker than that which is when you buy one of these things when you do this process you're optioning it right you're buying the option to make something and it can stay an option so what does happen more more often now, and it probably should be put a stop to, but whatever, we'll get into that another time. You will find that companies and filmmakers uh, and studios will option books not to make them, but to prevent someone else from making them. Yep. So they will take the option specifically to avoid somebody else doing it. And that usually happens when, for example, you know, this is not real, but let's assume I have a big werewolf uh, movie coming out. I got a huge thing. It's been in development for five years, right? Massive deal. I'm really excited about it. I've got huge actors to play it. I'm, I'm this close. And then I find out that two months from now, um, you know, I don't know, JK Rowling is going to release a book about werewolves. I'm shitting myself because that's going to destroy any chance that my film has of doing well. So I probably can't afford to license or option a book from JK Rowling. But in this instance, let's assume I can. I might ring the publisher and try to option the book before I've even read it, before yeah. it's even out, yep. specifically to prevent anyone else from getting it and making that movie before my movie comes out. And I might only option it for oh, three so, years. So then, so then you're not even optioning the book to, to make a movie of the book. It's exactly. just to give your separate project Yeah, totally chance. unrelated. You know, they're not at all connected. But I know that if if word gets out that there's a, a much bigger bigger shall we say or or an option of a book from a famous author or whatever 
is going to come out around the same time as my movie is scheduled to come out, it'll destroy my film. And so I would yeah. rather spend the money now, and it could be millions of dollars, but if the budget of my movie is big enough, I'll, I'll account for that. It'll and, be and, an investment. And you know, if, if, you, if you're weighing up like the pros and cons, if you're doing like a SWOT analysis of like, if, is it worth it doing this? If it, is it going to be worth the time and the money and give my product a much better chance to sell and do well? Yeah. Then like... And the it's, thing is, you can do it first. You don't have to option it forever, right? Like pretty much every option agreement is is limited. There's a time limit on them. The reason for that is you'll option a book for like three to five years. And one of the things in it will say, if you are unsuccessful in, in achieving financing or if you haven't started what they call principal photography, which is the first day of filming, mm. if you haven't started that by this date, then the option agreement is null and it reverts back to the author. Well, that's what happened with Tomb Raider, right? Because like they made, yeah. they made uh, the Alicia Vikander movie and then you know uh, their rights to, to making another one, they basically ran out of time before they made another one to hold on to the rights and now Amazon has it and they're doing it with... Phoebe Waller-Bridge, I'm pretty exactly. sure. Exactly. Yeah. The same thing actually happened with Anne Rice's interview with the Vampire series. Uh, quite, oh. quite famously, the reason that, I say the reason that, the reason that the Queen of the Damned film is not very good is myriad. There are dozens of reasons that that film was a disaster. But one of them, it. you're not missing much, although the Corn soundtrack is quite good. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, and there's if you're into topless sweaty men, there's quite a bit of that too. It's, it's quite good in that regard. Sure. Mm. Um, so, but yeah. oh yeah, the soundtrack is killer. Look, honestly, the film has pros and cons. I watched so it. Regardless, regardless, you should worth what? Yeah, you should yeah, check yeah. it out. But the one of the horror stories behind making the Queen of the Damned film is that if you're aware of the books, the first one is Interview with the Vampire. Right? They made that movie. It had uh, Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise. Made a ton of money. Right? There's two other books after that. It's a trilogy. It's actually way bigger than that now. Which they've started a TV show. Blah 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 blah. But the original three books. The sequel is called Lestat, and the third one is called Queen of the Damned. And the company had the rights- Queen of the Damned, by the way, is such a badass title. That's incredible, right? They, they had the rights to all three, and they had a time limit. And they realized at, at, no, at a particular point, they weren't going to be able to get Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt back for, ve- for obvious reasons at that point. They were already famous when they did Interview with the Vampire, but by the time they're cruising around to do the sequel, no chance. There's yeah. no way, right? So, okay, we're recasting Lestat anyway. And the sequels are primarily about Lestat. They're not about Louis. So you can do it without Brad Pitt. Okay, fine. We can make this work. But they literally ran out of time and they had to compress both books into one film. And that's just, if you already imagine, and you know this and as, you can, a, as and a creative. You, you can see how this would end up being a bad movie. Yeah, you're, you're, it's already difficult to adapt a, a you know, multi-thousand word, you know, small empire of a book into a hour and a half movie yeah if you're trying to do that with two books like imagine if they had to do one harry potter film for for the first four books insanity well ah, oh, so did, did you ever read or see the movie so like i actually mentioned um this book uh, earlier but the the darren shan vampire books um, i don't think so the, the first one is called uh cirque de freak um it's like it's like a saga of like 12 like young adult, like vampire horror novels. So I remember when I was a kid, fucking loved them. They did a movie um, called like, uh, I think the Vampire Saga, Darren Chan, whatever, Cirque mm. de Freak, um, starring John C. Riley as like the oh, main, wow. main vamp- vampire um, and uh, the kid from Zathura. Oh yeah. Um, and then like someone else is like the main character, but I forget his name. He, was, he wasn't the standout. Um, yeah, yeah. But the movie 
I, I was so excited for the movie when it came out because like, I love these books. It's going to be great, blah, 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 blah. And I saw the movie and it was shit. Yeah. It was a, a culmination of the first three books in one, but it didn't work because the story like doesn't like play out in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was so disappointing. And like there hasn't been, uh, or at least I don't, know, I don't know if there's anything in the works, but I haven't seen anything since. And I would love to see like, Probably like a TV series adaptation of the, of that series or yeah. or something like that. But yeah. Well, likely what's happened there is is they they made the film because similar to Queen of the Damned and, and a few of these other things, they the optioned the books. And, yeah, they yeah. optioned the books and then they were running out of time. Yep. And that that deadline of you must have principal photography by this date, and they went fuck it, we got to make something right. So because if you do that, you can hold the rights for a bit longer, you know. So maybe the maybe you know you're going to do five movies and you realize ah shit we have to do something now to to hold the rights long enough to do that and you end up releasing something that you've rushed and it's garbage and it bombs and suddenly the time and money investment on doing the sequels means that the first film has made them not worth doing anymore. Yeah. So you've shot yourself in the foot. So what will probably happen is the rights to those books will have reverted back to the author, but they're now in a really awful position because anybody looking to option those rights again and do and have another crack are also looking at the box office results of the one that went really badly and going, hang on a minute. And then also, why would I take that risk? And then also like, if you do look at option in the book and then you're trying to get like a a publisher or or distributor on board, like, you know, if it's a movie, if you're looking at like, like, uh, Warner Brothers or 21st Century Fox or whoever, or if you're doing TV like HBO, blah, 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 they're also going to look at that original movie and be like, well, you know, this wasn't that successful. Like how much work is this going to do to actually make it viable? Like all, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And you can see why a lot of them would pass. Yeah, it makes it really difficult. And what we're seeing with that was the Queen of the Damned film pretty much ended any cinematic adaptations of Anne Rice's works for quite a while. I don't remember what year that came out, but it was, you know, it was 90s, early 2000s-ish for sure because Korn did the soundtrack. So, like, you know, it dates it a little bit. The the current adaptations are Anne Rice is, um, I believe she actually passed away a fair while ago, but I think it's her son, Chris, is, like, in charge of the estate and, and has written other books in the world and this sort of stuff. They did a very smart thing. They sat on it for ages. They wrote more books. They built that world. They kept that popularity mm. increasing. Yeah, nice. And now they've got to deal with, uh, I think it's AMC. And now they've got like three TV shows in the works. There's oh, the fuck. Interview with the Vampire series. There's the Witches of Mayfair series. And I think there's a third one starting later this year. What's, what's Witches of Mayfair? Witches of Mayfair. This is fun. It's Look, uh, I'm going to plug this. Uh, it's not for me. It's for my mum. Right? Like okay. that's, that's what Witches of Mayfair is. But it does have- um, what's her name? Uh, Alexandra Daddario. So there's going to be a lot of men and and women in the audience who quite like her for a lot of reasons in everything she's in. She's really good in it. I can't I can't place her. What else has she been in? Um, oh God, I'd have to look it up. She's let's let's put it this way. She's generally famous for being Alexandra Daddario. So uh, I I don't know if I said a particular film. If you'd go, oh yeah, but if you saw a picture of her, you'd go. Oh, her. Oh, okay. I see. All right. I suppose I'll, I'll too, look it up. While, while you're looking that up as well, like what we've been talking about with like, um, you know, why a film might be, why, why an adaptation film might be shit with like holding on, holding on to the rights or going through optioning a book. I suppose the other thing too is like, I think some of the other stuff we touched on versus like chain of title, trying to get a publisher, trying to like land a film uh, is also like when people say a movie is in development hell, 
Uh, that's what they mean. The, the, yeah. like, like the, these are just like some examples of that kind of stuff happening. Like Friday the 13th currently would be in development hell because of all the, the legal lawsuit stuff happening. There's so many aspects of what yeah. could be happening behind the scenes to result in like a good or a bad movie or, or a movie not happening for years. Mm. Um, and like th- these are just some of the examples. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so Alexandra Daddario, I'll, I'll do this in two halves. So, so Alexandra Daddario has been in a ton of stuff. You might've seen her in, um, she's been in a, an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Oh, which episode? She was in, she played Ruby Taft. It's the one where they think they're getting, um, oh God, it's a parody or like a riff on that type of movie where they, it's the dinner party thing. The, the rich, wealthy people bring like a, a dumb oh, idiot to dinner yeah. and then they show them off. Yeah. It's that, right? But it turns out she really likes Charlie and Charlie yes, just brutalizes. Exactly. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and Charlie goes and mentioned they're playing tennis. So it's it's yeah. that character. Yes. I know exactly who you're you know exactly about right. So she's one fucking episode of yeah. Hopper Sunny. <laughs> so she's in that. She's quite famous for that. She did, um, she was in the first season, I believe, of True Detective. Um, I still need to watch that. She was really good in that. She's been in a ton of stuff, but the idea is like, you know, you might know her from a bunch of different things, but when you see her, you recognize her. She's got one of those faces. Yep, that makes sense. So Mayfair Witches is set in the Interview with the Vampire universe. And in that universe, vampires are real, witches are real. Uh, I won't get into spoiling stuff that's probably coming later in the show because this is not what the podcast is for, but there's other stuff in that universe as well. And in it, uh, Alexandra Daddario's character Play, she's she's one of the witches of this like family, a lineage, right? Yeah, like a cool. coven. Fuck yeah. And they may or may not have a demon slash the actual devil, maybe, uh, as like a, a a person they can summon to give them power. Oh, cool. So the show gets really weird. But interview the vampire. Wait, is, and you say this would be more for like our, our mum. It really is. What? This yeah, sounds awesome. I know. But when you watch like two or three episodes, you'll realize that this is a show for middle-aged women to enjoy. It is about um, that that supernatural lusty, uh, it's your oh, it's your mum's favorite. It's that, it's that kind of like Fifty Shades of Grey. It's Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's your mum's favorite, like slightly dirty novel. That's what this is. Like that's the show. I, and mean, they, I mean, I mean, there's clearly an audience for that. There's very much an audience for that. And if you're into it, like- you will enjoy Mayfair Witches. But if you're looking for something that's a bit more uh, traditional horror fantasy, that's not what this is. Sure. It's, that makes uh, sense. It leans heavily into the uh, hazy, smoky, lusty, uh, everyone spends a lot, a bit longer looking in each other's eyes than they a probably of, need to. A lot to. of the, uh, the Tumblr fan fiction. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, it's very much that. Um, but, but I will but say like, that's great though fuck yeah that's the thing right they're, they're killing it they've got uh, a, a second season of Interview with the Vampire on the way all of this stuff right and what we're seeing there is the positive outcome of the optioning system right these guys are able to leverage the IP that they have which they know is valuable there's like a dozen of these books they're all number one bestsellers like that should be a license to print money and the audience loves it we want more of the books we want more of the film we want more of the TV show so if it works well the system works really well, yep. but it could go horribly wrong because I'll bet, I, you know, I'm not pointing any fingers, but I would have to guess that the executives at AMC who optioned these rights or who are working with whoever has, they've gone and optioned a bunch of other vampire books and witch books specifically to stop other shows and films getting made and released at the same time because they want to have the market for that type of thing right now. Yeah. But those options like, probably only last like, three I, years. Like I hate that ethically. But in terms of like the, the business, like I, like I can see why they do it. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like it, but I can understand it. Yeah, there's, there's big money in it. And it, when you get famous enough, 
So J.K. Rowling is actually probably a great example of this. Oh, especially with the the HBO series for Harry Potter that just got announced. Exactly. So she's she's so famous now that if she says she's about to start writing another book, hasn't even written it yet, somebody will ring her and option it immediately. Because they know whatever she makes, regardless of what you think about her as a person and all the controversy surrounding Harry Potter, blah, 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 she is still worth millions and her ideas sell. Well, yeah, I mean, like, uh, you look at Hogwarts Legacy. I saw a headline the other day. It sold 250% better than they expected. Yeah. Like, that's that's fucking nuts. There's there's a lot to unpack on whether or not, you know, she deserves the money and et cetera, et cetera. But unequivocally, she wrote a thing that people love and is worth a lot of money. And so now we're seeing, like, of course they're going to make a TV show. Of course they are. They built a fucking theme park for it. They're going to be selling merch for Harry Potter for the next 50 years. They Harry were, Potter calling, is, a, is an, a cultural icon now. Yeah, they were calling the, the HBO series that they're doing, like it's going to be a decade long yeah. like, like event. Which part of me is like, that's silly because how the fuck are you going to cast a 12-year-old to play Harry and a decade later he's 17? Come on, get out of here. I mean, like, I mean they've, they've done it with Stranger Things. Like I know, all, but I just- all, all, the, all those characters- Clearly, look like they're in like their mid to late twenties yeah. now, and they're playing like six, seventeen-year-olds. The killer for me is going to be they're you know, they're going to cast these really young kids, and they're going to grow up in in a world that even the Harry Potter cast didn't. Where oh yeah, Twitter and, is everywhere. Oh, just, Everybody's just, on just TikTok. Think about it. All, the, all those kids in every interview they have, it's going to be like. So, what do you think about J.K. Rowling and, and her views on, exactly. on trans people? Yeah, it's going to get wild, and you, you're going to like. How do you have a cast of that size? Because, yeah, okay, you've got the three main kids, right? But there's like a dozen people in the cast surrounding them for the next 10 years. Oh, yeah. Someone's getting cancelled. Someone's going to say something stupid. Someone's going to get recast halfway through the show. It's going to be a shit show. It's going to be nuts. I'll, I'll probably watch it. Tell I you, will. Tell you what, I'm going to bring it back to Dead Space and Event Horizon. Yeah, do it. Malfoy himself is in Event Horizon. Really? Yeah. Uh, the the actor who plays Lucius Malfoy. Oh, is you're talking about uh, Dad Malfoy, not Draco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason da- Isaacs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jason Isaacs. Yeah. Dad, <laughs> Dad, Daddy Malfoy. Daddy Malfoy. Is he's in, in it. Is in Event Horizon. And he's fucking great in it, by he the way. He is. Jason Isaacs, man. People sleep on this dude. He is an incredible actor. Incredible. And, and, and like, he, he he's one that, like, blends into his characters really well. Because, yeah. like, I reckon if, if you didn't specifically know, you could you could look at Harry Potter and you could look at Event Horizon and not realise it's the same actor. Yeah. Uh, he, and his, his performance is great. He's also in – he plays a fantastic character in Star Trek Discovery. He's in, like, he's in a ton of stuff where he's so good that you kind of – yeah, like you said, he, he, he disappears into the character. And in, a, in on one hand, that's kind of a shame because I feel like – if he didn't do that, he definitely has the power to be like a full-blown leading man. Like he should be carrying. Well, films. He, okay, this this could lead us onto like another topic, right? What do you think? What do you, what do you think is better, or what what would you want to see more? Like a, a really good character actor that you don't necess- necessarily recognize the actor in each role, but each role they do is fucking phenomenal and they could do anything. Versus someone who establishes establishes yeah, establishes themselves as an actor. But everything they do is very clear. Like, oh, this is The Rock doing this, or this is John Cena doing this, or this is like, oh, Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and blah blah blah. Like, very like, mm. you know, they would put in the work to get there. But then you look at someone like um, I've forgotten his name, but Jason the, Isaacs. Jason, yeah, Jason yeah. Isaacs, or you look at um, again, can't remember the name, but the person who plays Gollum and does like a lot of like creature animal stuff, or like, yeah, yeah. like there's, there's there's like quite a lot of good actors that like low key are great in everything they they're in, but you don't necessarily know who they are. But every time they pop up, I'm like, oh, him, he's fucking great. Yeah, 
It's a tricky one to answer because as a film producer, I- You want a recognizable name. Yeah. like, And it's not even about wanting them. I often don't want them. I would much rather work with relatively unknown or emerging actors or or talent that- you know, our character actors, but I know they can do it, right? Yeah. Um, the the thing is though, when you're trying to sell a script or a concept or you're trying to pitch a film for distribution- Like you want to have like a name attached. The very first thing that distributors ask is who's going to be in it, right? Because this is actually a fun story. I'm doing this for a film. I won't talk about it too much because it is, you know, very much in the works, but if this goes well, you'll all hear about it soon enough. So yeah, I can, stay tuned. I can, I can like censor anything if you need as well. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. So- we were in a similar situation of we're pitching this film and we've got a major distributor. It's going to go into cinemas. We've got the majority of the cast. We've got heads of department, everything, right? The recipe to make this movie is finished. It's it's ready to be put in the oven and we're going to bake this cake. It's happening, right? Fuck yes. Holy shit. Like it's all going ahead. It's I very, I very I exciting. I didn't realize uh, you had one like at that point. Yeah, now. yeah. It's really exciting. Holy shit. That's, that's fucking awesome. If things go the way I think they will, there'll be news There'll be news about it. It will be in the newsletters for people in the film industry. Yep. Like it may not go fully mainstream. You're not going to see a bus ad for it yet. You will in a couple of years, but not yet. But you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's all like, it's snowballing. It's snowballing, right? And so even in that process, we have, you know, we've got a pretty good sized budget. It's healthy. Let's say that. And- you know, we're talking to international sales agents and their job is to sell the film internationally. They need to sell the film overseas. And so they're asking me that question, who's going to be in it? Who's in this movie? And I tell them a name and they go, mm, I don't think international audiences will go for that. I don't think, I don't think that person mm. is marketable overseas. And it's really frustrating because you're like, yeah, but that's the guy. That's who we're using. And he's amazing. And it's going to be an amazing film. But they kind of don't care because- a French audience, for example, they don't know who this guy I mean, is. I mean, it's also kind of like you think about that, uh, especially with like a lot of like American and Western media. Even if you look at Australia, we're often like uh, an afterthought. Yeah. Like there was something that came out recently. Uh, one of my friends was talking about it because like it came out in America and he went, he wanted to go see it here, but it turns out here it's not in, in cinemas until like mid-May, even though yeah. even though it's out in America now. Happens all the time. It's, yeah. just, it's just like... We're a very small market, right? And We are, like, unfortunately, we are. Like, Population-wise, literally, we're a small market. Yep. And that works against us in a lot of ways. So if we're receiving product, we're an afterthought because they're not going to sell much here because there's literally less of us, right? And if we're trying to sell something out overseas, where, again, we're very limited because the international market looks at Australian film as being a niche foreign film like like when we here are like oh did you see that like really niche weird art house french movie we're that for people in spain and germany yeah, yeah. and and i mean you, you know, know. Pe- people here joke about and, and like i hate it but like australians don't watch australian exactly yeah. like well i have a way the the acting thing is interesting i, I have this test it's my mum test oh yeah and what i do is if i'm looking at casting and i'm talking to the director and i'm talking to the distributor who's going to be in this who can we approach right we haven't locked it in yet who's it going to be I'll, I'll put a name and I'll text it to my mum and go, do you know who this is? And if she knows without having to look it up, that's a name. We could sell that, right? Because if my mum knows- that's, a, that's honestly a really good indicator. It's a good indicator because I'm in the industry. I know all sorts of people and I have no real grasp the, uh, of how famous they actually this is, are. This is also a really good thing because like, like both of us, film and games, right? I like, especially like if a lot of what we surround ourselves in is other people in the industry and other people who like, like no, no specifics who are looking at games from a, from a very like certain point of mm. view, you forget- 
kind of like what people know or expect, just like in the general public. Yeah. Which is which is kind of bizarre when you actually like come up against that being like, oh shit, like I I don't realise like how deep in the hole I am. Yeah. In terms of what I do. Oh, it happens all the time. The the mum test failed me the other day. I can I I'll give you a name. I don't think this will work, but if he's listening, we would love you. Um, but we 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 were looking at casting a support character in this film, mm. and one of the names that popped up by the distributor was okay, Billy Bob Thornton. Would he? Oh be great? yeah. Oh fuck. And I'm like, everybody knows My who Billy Bob know. Thornton yeah, is, exactly. right? Your mum knows who Billy Bob Thornton is. If you text your your mum, your grandma knows who Billy Bob Thornton is. He's that famous, yeah. right? And everyone at the table goes, fuck. If you could get Billy Bob Thornton, I'm like, I don't know him. I don't think I could get him. But he is a name. He would work. Yeah. But then I suggested, what about Bradley Whitford? And half oh. the room went, oh, yeah. I think I know who he is. Right? The other half did that. I texted my mum. Wait, can, wait goes, can I check before you explain? I just on. want to know if, if I am thinking of the first person. Is he in Cabin in the Woods? Is he? Yeah, is he, is he one of the two like office he guys? Is. He, he is. He absolutely is. He's, he's the younger one. Yes. Yes. That's him. I haven't seen him in a lot. Um, I'm actually kind of stoked that I recognize his name because I wasn't sure what his name was. But yeah. he, he's one of those uh, character actors that mm-hmm. I was talking about earlier. Every time I see him in something, he's great. I never yeah. remember his name, but I fucking love every role he's in. Right? So I texted that name to my mum and she wrote back, I don't know who that is. And I, I said, Google it. And she wrote back, oh my God, him. And I'm like, yes. Okay. So the problem we've got is I would love Bradley Whitford in my movie. All right? oh my I don't know if, if you he work, would do if it. If you work with Bradley Whitford, that'd be fucking be stunning, amazing. Right? Holy shit. If, if Bradley, if you're listening, we want you. But it's that like, you know, I, I can only offer him a certain amount of money and I'd need him to fly to Australia. And he's busy because I'm pretty sure he's also in the next season of Handmaid's Tale. So there's a whole yeah, right. like, yep. there's a whole circus of things that need to fall into place for that to happen. But immediately it's a hard sell because to the distributor, they're going, we love him. We think he's fantastic. But if we put his name on the poster, is that enough to get your mum to pay money to see this movie? That's what they're looking for when they say a name. It's a, it, you know, it's interesting when you think about that, right? Because like, weirdly, I think having his face on the poster would do more than having his name written. Yeah, but he's not the lead, so you kind of can't do but that. But like, people, people like, I mean, this might just be a me thing because I remember a lot of things visually, so mm. I'll recognize the face, but not necessarily the name. If that makes sense. No, a lot of people do this, right? And the, the problem you've got is that when we talk about having a name in the film, it has to be just the name. Yeah. It has to be someone. Because it, it has to be someone that can sell it when you mention the name, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like Chris Pratt made it to that level, right? Yep. But prior to things like Guardians of the Galaxy, who was Chris Pratt? He was in that show. He was, he was pretty in, funny. He, he was he was like the, the stumbling idiot in right. Parks and Rec. And like now, the, yeah. if you say Chris Pratt, People have an image in their head. They know who Chris Pratt is. Yeah. Right? And people like not only just know who Chris Pratt is in movies, they know like all the shit in his personal life because exactly. he's at that level of famous now that like everything about him is yeah. news. And so that's often an issue where someone is very, very famous and and they're in the public eye and that means they're very expensive and they're they're a crowd pleaser. You know getting them is going to work, right? But you want that character actor. You want that person who isn't that famous because you want them to disappear into the character. Yeah. So you have to walk that line of, I need to get somebody who is famous enough that everyone who is putting money into the movie, everyone who's writing us the checks are happy that it's a good investment and the audiences will pay to see this. But not so much that it now takes over the movie and now the movie is about that person, right? Like if we put 
I mean, we're not going to do this. Like, right? I, I think The Rock has that a lot. Every Rock movie has he's in is like yeah. he's taking it over, and like it's not even about whatever the movie is now. It's like it's just the project that The Rock is doing. Exactly. And so I'm not even saying his real name. I'm just saying The Rock. Yeah. Like that tells you know. that tells you enough in itself. Exactly. So you you end up with that awful problem of going, we're never going to get Brad Pitt, but if we got him, I kind of don't want him for the film because the film is not a Brad Pitt film. It's a different kind of movie. Right. Uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, like it would it would mean your film ends up needing and getting a lot more money and like yeah. taking it to an entirely different level. But yeah. also at that point, it's an entirely different project. Exactly. Yeah, which so, can, which can be good, which but can, can be good. but it can also detract from like the original intention of the project. Yeah, which is that's that problem, right? If you wrote the thing as a vehicle for The Rock and he wants to be in it, congratulations. You're going to make a movie with the fucking rock. And, and you're going to make a lot of money. It's going to be cool. Great, if, right? you, if you're in it to make money, fuck yeah. If you're, right. in, if you're in it for the original like creative aspect of what you're trying to do, then like it's, yeah. you know, it's like what's more important? Yeah. And this yeah. is actually great for things like Event Horizon. If you look at, like Sam Neill is very famous, yeah. right? Very, very famous. He's one of Australia's best exports. We're very proud of him. But Is it, you, isn't it New Zealand? Oh, he might be, but it doesn't matter. We, we claim them. Yeah, we yeah. did it with, uh, what's his name, Russell. We'll do it with Sam. It's fine. Yeah, sure. But, but the idea is that Jason Isaacs, I would argue at this point, should be as famous as Sam Neill. Yeah. But he isn't. Yeah. Because people don't I recognize I mean, especially when you, when you look at like the, the, the British like, like royal royalty of um, acting class in the Harry Potter movies, and he's up there with yeah. them. He, he should be bigger than he is. Right. So there's the thing, if I text my mum and say, do you know who Jason Isaacs is? She has no clue. I reckon my mum would. You reckon? I reckon, yeah. After this, we'll try it. But this idea that like Lawrence Fishburne is in this. Yes. People know who Lawrence Fishburne is. Well, whenever I talk about this movie uh, to people, I might say Lawrence Fishburne and they won't know. But then I'm like, it stars the guy from Jurassic Park and it stars Morpheus from The Matrix. Right. And people are like, holy shit. Holy shit. <laughs> it's that, right? So it's like, okay, you may not know Lawrence Fishburne's name, but you know, the, you know he's the you, guy who you, played Morpheus. You know Morpheus. Yeah. yeah. And, so, that, and that's all you need to know. So it's interesting. Imagine the Event Horizon film that stars The Rock. And, I would hate And that, Tom Cruise. Personally. Totally different film. Totally different movie. If, but also, like, you could lean into that and, like, have the tone and have it be self-aware and, uh, and, like, know that it's, like, a weird vehicle for them and, like, have that work in its own right. But if I was doing Event Horizon, that's not the way I would want to do it. Exactly. And that's that's the issue. So the question of, you know, do you want these famous people? Do you want these names? It's both yes and no at the same time. Yeah. I, I want them when I need them and when I think it's going to work really and well. And ultimately, like the actual answer to that question whenever it comes up is going to be like, whichever one actually lets me make the project. Yeah. And that's the honest, the real answer is if I spend five years pushing shit uphill, trying to get a movie made with a character actor that nobody will buy... I'll, I'll switch it out and I'll go, all right, fuck it. Different movie now. Em- embrace it, right? Or move on to a different project. I mean, like literally every project ever is, is, is like a, a rescope and a rework and a redesign like every step of the way. Right? Yeah. It's like you'll go in it with like the intention behind it and hopefully you'll make, you'll have like a key reference point. Like you have your game design uh, document Bible. You'll have your like core pillars, blah, blah, blah. blah and hopefully you can like keep that yeah. intent. Yeah. I mean, we didn't really talk about this in the Star Wars episode, but it, it has the same issues, right? Like in video games, it's the same thing. Yeah. When you put a famous person in your video game, especially if it's their likeness, not just their voice, like you're you're opening a particular right, can it, of worms. Because they're doing that with actors in the Star Wars games. Yeah. And like that, honestly, from a development perspective, that sounds like a fucking nightmare. Yeah. Because you're you're now you're 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 
pigeon pigeonholing. That's the wrong word here. You're you know you're shoehorning it in to be like, okay, we've got this famous actor, and that's great, right? It's going to sell the game. Very exciting. First of all, you didn't need that for a Star Wars game. People are going to buy that anyway. So you're just you're just layering more icing on an already finished cake. Why yeah. why do that, right? But then creatively, you're kind of stuck because now you have to work with that character and that actor tied together. And so if you're using that actor in the film yep. or in the TV show, which we're going to see, right? Like Rosario Dawson plays Ahsoka. If she shows up in the Jedi sequel that's coming out in a few days, that's because they've gotten her uh, face Je- in. Jedi Survivor? Yeah. To do performance capture and voice recording yeah. and all this sort of stuff. They had to work around her schedule to do that. And they've had to work around all sorts of things that you wouldn't normally have to worry about in game design because of that creative decision. So, like, it can be really helpful. It can work really well. It, it's probably gonna. Um, it's probably gonna end up being an amazing product. Yeah, but, oh. but like, but like, like, I'll the, give you like a really the, sad the journey example. to get there is yeah. so much work. I'll give you a really sad example of this. Um, shout out to Lance Reddick. Really, really heavy loss. Right, Lance mm. Reddick passed away recently. And I fucking felt that. I, I very rarely feel it when an actor passes away in this sense because I love actors, I love their work, but like I don't know these people. I don't know Lance Reddick. I never the met more him. I looked into Lance Reddick as well, like because he because he's in Destiny. He's yeah. a, he's a, he's a, he's a big video game uh, gamer, um, and like he puts so much care yeah. and effort into like everything he does. He, he really loves it. And it, it shines through in his performances. Yeah. So he voices one of the main characters in Destiny 2 yeah. and Destiny, right? This guy, Zavala. And the way this all played out in the game, right around the time that he actually passed away, was the darkest moment for that character. And so it hits home even harder knowing that when he returns in the next seasonal content, it'll either have to be recast or that character is going to have to go away mm. because they can't do it without him. He's so ingrained in what that is. If they do recast it, people will be mad about it. Like Zavala is Lance Reddick yeah. and VV, right? Like you kind of can't separate those they, two they, things. They kind of like put the character to rest along with like, you know, the performer who made yeah. it what it is. Yeah. And so they're going to have to figure out in the seasonal content, does that character die or go away somewhere or what happens to him? Because we can't really justify totally changing his his mannerisms and voice. You know, maybe there's enough pre-recording that they'll get through the next seasonal content, but certainly by that stage it's finished, right? The same thing is happening with the Horizon games. So uh, Lance Reddick also plays and does full facial and That's performance right. capture for the Horizon series, Zero Dawn and Forbidden West. Yep. He plays a character called Silence and he's pivotal. He's like a major character in that series. He he is a constant switch between antagonist and and helper. And without him, the narrative of the game fundamentally changes. So do they recast him? But if they do, do they keep Lance Reddick's face? Well, I think I think at that point, like they kind of have to decide, like <laughs> if if the if the character like off screen also dies and have to rework and like introduce a new a new character new story type and and just like pivot because like otherwise like it because it can be really jarring too when when you do change it or recast it and yeah. the audience is like what 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 like this this doesn't match up that's the thing especially even, even if they know the context even if they understand you still go oh that feels weird right and it's that idea that like it's not just his voice it's his face yeah 
So then you get into that weird territory that's happening with like a lot of the Star Wars stuff where they're using this VFX tech to bring back dead actors for like cameos, oh, right? It's so... It's, it's kind of gross. So weird. Like it feels a bit icky. I don't like it. They, they did one, uh, like a, a tangent. I mean, one of one of a few tangents, but fuck it. Um, they did one with a deep fake, I think, of James Dean. Um, from, oh, like, yeah. from like Rebel Without a Cause, like classic like 1950s, where I think they, they made a new movie starring him, mm. like I think a year or two ago. Um, I didn't see it talked about a lot, uh, but I, I did see some stuff about it. And uh, but like a lot of the discussion was like, like how gross and unethical it was to yeah. kind of like bring him back from the dead and like, you know, cap- capitalize off him again. Right. If that makes it's, sense. That's that late stage capitalism of like, we, we're not going to let you go even when you die because you're worth like so it's much money. Ca- it's kind of fucked. It's very fucked. Oh my God. It, I am fascinated to see how it all turns out because we're starting to see, like I have seen in an actor's contract that they specifically exclude the rights for the production to use their likeness and voice for anything beyond their actual I, performance. I saw... Um, uh, I think I read this a little while ago. Keanu Reeves has a specific clause in this contract that nothing can be added in post or digitally to his performance. Because there was a movie he did, um, I think in the 90s or years ago, where they, in post, they added a tear on yeah. his face in, in, in one of the scenes. And he was like, that's not what I was doing. That's not what the performance was. That's not what I was doing with the character. I didn't have any control over this. Yeah. And it's him giving his performance. Like, it's it's his name on the line for like like how this performs right and if if they affect that without his uh input like he's he's not okay with that so ever since that he's had it yeah. in, in every movie since like he, he he won't have digital um or post uh additions or edits to his performance i don't know where that's going to lead us in terms of yeah bringing back dead actors or, or what that means but i will say and like, and like deep faking and, and deep faking yeah. stuff right the the nature of the industry and that capitalist drive for something being worth money. And that's the ultimate goal. It does impact the art in a big way. And so if we're, if we're looking at stuff like that, I would rather have a Jason Isaacs where it's his real performance and he disappears into that character. And I want that. That's what I'm going for. You know what? I reckon Jason Isaacs, could play Isaac Clarke in a Dead Space movie. He probably could. I think he'd be I reckon, fantastic I reckon he'd actually be a fucking solid pick for that role. I, I, I know he does a pretty good American accent, but there's a question for you. Does Does Isaac Clarke need to be American no. in an adaptation? Like, there's no story reason. There's, there's, there's no, like, need for any of them to, to stick to, like you know, gender yeah. or nationality or anything like that, right? If you if if you if you're doing a remake or an adaptation and you're doing it in your own way, you can have whoever you want fit into that character yeah. because like that ca- all you have for that character type for that narrative is it's an engineer who's been sent to repair this ship that their spouse is on and is, is gonna like play out in that way. Chaos ensues. In terms yeah. of in terms of like those individual characters as long as you have those like those connections, which are pretty, there's a lot of room for for um, like changing things up. Mm. There, I think it's fine. You do have to consider it sometimes, uh, less so for stuff like this. But I know I'm working on a different film where there's two brothers, uh, and we're, we've already potentially landed on who's going to play the older brother, and because that character or that that actor has an ethnicity. The younger brother now has to match if it, that. If it's specifically like families, like yeah. like like blood genetic stuff, that does make sense. Yeah, you can kind of go, okay, I see where we have to go with that. But in this, uh, I, like in the specific example of Dead Space, I think there's a lot of room. You can get away with it. Yeah, yeah. I think it's I think it's an interesting question. Would Jason Isaacs want to do it? Because then you run into that um, 
that uh, what's his name, Pablo? Um, no, uh, Pedro Pascal. I was going to say Pablo Shriba plays Master Chief. Similar issues. He's got a helmet on for the most part, but in the TV show, they just took the helmet off. They were like, "Fuck that!" Right? Yeah, I mean, also the TV show was shit. Yeah, in a in a Dead Space film or TV show, well, do he, you he, have he, Isaac he, having the helmet on or off because then it's that. Um, Pedro Pascal as Mandalorian. Yes. He's got the helmet on for the most part. Is that okay? Well, so I think with Dead Space, because like whenever he's not fighting or like whenever he's with other characters, he does take his helmet off pretty regularly. Um, and also like you hear his voice a lot. So like it, like I think the Pedro Pascal example of the Mandalorian, I think I, honestly, it still works. I think it works. It's just a question of would, would Jason Isaacs want to be uh, wearing the helmet for the whole thing? Or is he is he the type of actor... Who, who wants to be seen. Because I find that a lot is really interesting. Uh, interesting. When you ask an actor to put a lot of facial makeup on or to put a helmet on or a mask on, they don't want to. They well, want, do you they're think they're Jason like, Isaacs, my face is my asset. I want to be seen. Do you think Jason Isaacs falls a lot more into like the, full, the disappearing into a character type actor or like wanting to be like the known recognizable actor? You know what? I wouldn't want to hazard a guess. I've seen him in a lot of stuff. I don't know that I've seen him in a lot of stuff wearing masks or covering his face. So I don't know what that says about him, if that's a choice he's making or if that's just the roles that he tends to be offered. But I will say- I wouldn't be surprised if it's just what happens to be the role. Right? Like he, he has a quite nice face. So I can imagine <laughs> if you're- <laughs> I can just imagine, oh, CJ, you, you have a lovely face. No, no, this is a true thing, right? Because when you're marketing an actor- I right? mean, the, yeah, this is true. When you're talking to the distributor, one of the things that comes up is, do they have a nice face? Are we going to enjoy seeing them on screen? Because audiences like that, right? Say what you will. This is a good example. Say what you will about like Margot Robbie's acting talent. I think she's fucking phenomenal. I think yeah. she's an incredible force, right? But she's very pretty. She's very nice to look at. I mean, you can say she's hot. No, no, but this is what I'm getting at. Is it's not even about the sex appeal thing, right? Like she is a hot oh, person. Okay. Right? She's you, an attractive person. You just person. mean like, like very like easy to see she's on the screen. She's easy on the eyes. She's pleasant to see on the screen. Okay, right? I, I see what you're getting there's at. Like, there's like a lizard brain part of humanity where if you put pretty people in movies, the movies are somehow better. Now, I'm not saying that as an objective statement of truth. I'm saying that they have done studies on this and the statistics show audiences agree that things with pretty people in them are better. And when the big players like HBO, Warner Brothers, whoever are like, you know, looking at these details, this is, this is the kind of stuff that yeah. they're, they're keeping in mind. And like, actually the, they are putting in the work. They're looking at this. They're seeing, they do test screenings and, exactly. and all this kind of stuff. Like, they, they, I would argue if you were going to do dead space movie, I, there will be multiple takes of scenes, some with helmet on, some with helmet off. And they would do a test screening of each to decide is there too much face in the movie or not enough face in the movie? I think it's interesting too, right? Because like thinking about Dead Space specifically, it's very gross, very gnarly, very kind of like like gritty, ugly. Exactly. Uh, like world, right? But And so thinking about that, it probably would make sense to have those moments of reprieve when you have that moment with the character taking off their helmet. You'd probably want it to be like, oh, like we're, we're back with like, you know, they're not part of all the fucked up things happening. Yeah, you they're want just, them to be they're pretty. Just, they're just yeah. trying to get through and survive and you want to root for them, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And it's not necessarily suggesting that people who don't have pretty faces can't be leading roles, right? And it sounds so weird to, to like talk about it in such an, an objective sense. But it's kind of what happens because when you're when you're doing all of this prep work on, on a film or on a video, well, maybe not so much on a video game because you can control that, right? Yeah. But when you're doing it in a film you might look at it and go, okay, we love this actor. We think they're amazing, but we need to make them a little bit prettier, right? And some really interesting examples. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is a great one. He can run the whole gamut from,
from like unattractive to very attractive. I love I love Daniel Radcliffe's like kind of like the roles he takes on now, right? right? He, he just does like weird shit that he finds fun. And he can do like unkempt filthy rat bag and still be fun. And, right. he, and and like he leans into it, yeah, it's great, and it's awesome. But he can also clean up very well. Oh yeah. And so if you're if you're looking for somebody who can do both, someone like Daniel Radcliffe is your pick. But if you're looking for that dirty Daniel rat Radcliffe bag, for Isaac, oh Daniel Radcliffe would be an that incredible would actually Isaac. be amazing. If you're listening, Daniel, hit us up. Where you know we're not involved in the production in any way, but I want I want to know if you're interested personally. So man, if I, man, if I could be involved in working on the IP for a game like Dead Space or something like that, fuck me, that'd be a dream. It'd be good. I, I can imagine it would be very stressful because it would be. If and you're if- working on something that has has so much money riding on it or like a, like something that has a pre-existing fan base of that size, you'd be nervous. But I'd also, be nervous. like, just think, like, like the, the amount of, like, creative, like, experimentation and exploration you can do on that kind of project. You get weird. Like, like, working on, like, a well-known name like that, making it, releasing it, and, and how that could go, having that under your belt would be, f- like, holy shit. Yeah. That would be fucking amazing. I, I mean, that's, yeah. I mean, that's also kind of like why we do what we do, right? Exactly. Because we 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 have aspirations to be working on all these types of projects. Yeah, and I mean, that's the that's the trick, right? Do you want to work on somebody else's Dead Space or somebody else's Event Horizon or TV do, show, or do you want to be doing like your thing exactly. that might be inspired by that kind of stuff? And you have room to, but also at that point too, it's not the recognizable name, right? So, like, I think I think there's you got to build it up. There's an element of attractiveness to both. There's yeah. a, there's a huge element of of attractiveness of attractiveness to working on an already existing IP such as like Alien or Dead Space or Event Horizon or The Last. Because we're fans, we love that shit, right? Yeah, and 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 being and, and, and usually in those cases, is it's an opportunity to meet and work with the people who made those things that you love. So, like, there's always going to be a huge part of that that yeah. would be amazing. But at the same time, this one's always like the—I mean, they're both fucking hard. But this is gonna always gonna be harder to get off the ground. But working on your own thing that's directly inspired by and like being able to like put that out into the world to share like your part yeah, of yeah. like the puzzle, it like that opportunity itself is also so attractive in a different sense. Yeah, I mean, like I'm inspired by this stuff, yeah. right? Like Event Horizon, one hundred percent. It, it tickles something deep inside me that makes me go, I want to do that. I want to do a horror film or a video game or something that feels like that. And I guess that kind of ties us into Dead Space may not be an adaptation of Event Horizon, but they live in the same place. They come from the same core deep stuff yeah. and, and they feel very much the same or similar, right? When, when you know, not, not every video game needs a remaster, not every film needs a TV show adaptation or a reboot or whatever, but sometimes they deserve them because as a fan, I want it. I want it because oh, it yeah. inspires me and I want to work in that world. You know, there's a reason we're still doing stories in the Star Wars universe. They make money. People love them. What's, um, and we'll try to keep it like on theme for like space, sci-fi, horror stuff, or like one of any of these. What's an early, what's something you played or watched? Uh, early enough that hasn't got a remake that you would love to see like redone there's a fucking excellent movie from the 90s called Sphere it's one of my favourite sci-fi films it's absolutely insane and instead of taking place in space it takes place in the Marianas Trench and I fucking love it they find this uh, spaceship thing or they find a thing that they don't know what it is but it's a spaceship and they find it deep inside the Marianas Trench and the whole movie is like they're on this fucking submarine thing 
examining it, trying to like talk to it, learn about it, whatever. And there's like sea creatures that are like randomly on the radar, like attacking them or like there's a thing that might be a giant squid. And the question is like, is that a giant squid attacking them or is that the alien influencing a giant squid to attack them or is the giant squid the fucking alien? It's a great. squid's aliens the entire right? time. It's a fascinating <laughs> movie. I love it. That and sounds I, awesome. I really, Holy shit. I really hope that as as we're seeing things like Event Horizon get a TV show or whatever, I, I want other producers to plumb those depths and go, what are the other great 80s and 90s you know, cult classics that, yeah. that that deserve more. They they deserve more of a time in the sun. I mean, one of the ones that is getting a remake that I'm honestly shocked is getting a remake is The Toxic Avenger. Oh, that'll and be so it's, wild. And it's got Peter Dinklage starring in it. Really? Yeah. Okay, man. Yeah. See, that again, that's that horrible problem that we just talked about. He's a name. <laughs> yeah, He's name. a fucking name, right? If you had said anyone else, I may not have had that reaction. But because you're like, it's Peter Dinklage and I fucking love him, I'm like, I'll watch it straight away. Yeah. That's why they have him. They cast him because of people like me going, fuck yeah, I'll definitely watch that because he's in it. It's a problem, but it's a reality. And also, like, having seen the original Toxic Avenger, being like, how the fuck are they going to modernize that movie? <laughs> yeah, it's been a while since I watched it, but it's problematic in a lot of ways. That'll be there's, there's interesting. A, there's, there's a lot of stuff that happens in it that you would not be able to do today. I'll tell you my video game one. Uh, technically, there's technically System Shock already had a remaster because you could argue that Bioshock is in fact the spiritual remaster or remake of I mean, they're, System they're, Shock. They are doing a remake of System Shock. I keep Shock. hearing that and it's been in the works for like five years. I think that's in development hell. I'll believe that when I, yeah, when okay. I play it. But the other one is a very weird game that was on the Nintendo 64 and it's called Silicon Valley. The ga- a, a game called Silicon Valley. It's a game Valley. called Silicon Valley and it's fucking bizarre. You play as a microchip, if I'm remembering right. And there's like- <laughs> Okay, I'm in. I'm in. It's, oh no, it's called Space Station Silicon Valley. That's okay. the whole name. And that's important because it takes place on a space station and it's populated by like animals and stuff, but they're all robots. And then you as the microchip can like inhabit one of the, the animals. Ah. And so you utilize the skills of whatever the animal robot has. Yep. It, was, it was basically Mario Odyssey's whole Mario Cap giving him powers thing way before that happened. Yeah. And like that, that is like a, a design mechanic in itself, always going to be fun. It's gold. It's gold, right? I love it. So that one was janky as fuck. It felt bolted together. It was frustrating as shit to play, but I fucking loved it. That and Body Harvest, I'm pretty sure the same company made both games. What's Body Harvest? Body Harvest is like, it's like a bad, I shouldn't say bad, it's a great game, but it feels like a bad 90s or even 80s sci-fi you're on, I think you're on Earth or you're on another planet that's Earth-like and there's aliens invading and you have to run around and shoot them and then you have to like get in these vehicles and drive to the next town. But it was too early. It was way ahead of its time. There was too much fog because they couldn't actually have rendering more than like 10 meters in front of you. <laughs> so you I couldn't see that. what the fuck was going on. Yeah. Everything is blocky as shit. It's not smooth at all. It's It's very awkward. If you look it up, you'll be like, this looks like garbage. Why did you like this? It was, I'm pretty sure it was the same company who did Blast Core for the same reason. It's blocky as all fuck. I also don't know what Blast Core is. Oh, you'll love that one. That one actually got a re-release on the Xbox not long ago. And they smoothed out a lot of the jankiness. Uh I'm hoping that Body Harvest gets the same treatment. What I'd love to see though, would be a hot new remaster of Silicon Valley, Space Station Silicon Valley. I think it has incredible promise as a game and it just wasn't explored enough. It's, It's not really horror in the same way that Body Harvest is, but it's, it gets into like psychological horror elements of like what it is to be a thing without a body and uh, what it is to be alive or not. 
as like an artificial intelligence? Are you a thing? Oh wow, it's got it, it's got a nine point five out of ten on I, on IGN. It's really fucking good. This is what I mean. There's a lot of stuff that came out in nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, there you go. We 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 weren't ready for some of these concepts, but we wanted them. And I want to see people now leaning back in that instead of remaking the same fucking things over and over again. Give me a remaster of something that actually was good and deserves a second chance. This looks awesome. Yeah, it's really good. I'm going to plug the shit out of that. Play it. It's great. It's probably got some horrific licensing problems and that's why no one's ever touched it. Well, I mean, also like if it's on the N64, like a Nintendo exclusive game is always going to be a bit exactly. tricky. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can imagine it would be all wrapped up in legal I mean, shenanigans. Hey, you know, maybe Nintendo will do a remaster like they did with Metroid and put it on Switch. That'd oh be, yeah. But we sick. could do a whole podcast on what a fucking shit show it was to remaster Metroid Prime. Oh my God. There's, there's a whole backstory where they had it nearly finished and then scrapped that entire version and made a different company start again. And, and they're banking on, they're, they're waiting to see how that one does before giving them the green light to remaster the other two. And that's why Metroid Prime 4 still isn't coming out because they're not releasing that until they've decided if they're redoing the first three. Fuck me. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, there you go. That's an example of fucking, like a, a, a different case of development hell for Metroid yeah. 4, right? It's, the same, it's that issue of like, who owns the rights to this? Are we remastering this? We want to see you do a good job before we touch that, blah, 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 yeah. blah. This is the thing. I would love to see some of those. What are yours? Do you have like a, a go-to 90s oh, or, or earlier horror film or video game that you'd be uh, like, let's do it? Well, you, you know what, weirdly, because we're going to talk about this in the next episode. Um, and it, it got a Japanese remake recently, but Cube? Oh, the Cube. I didn't realize it had a remake. It has. So, it's, it, so Cube has like... There's I mean, a bunch of sequels. I mean, I'll, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll talk about it more in the next episode. But Cube has like three movies or so. I think it came out in like early 2000s. But and mm. there's there's a Japanese remake for it. I think that could serve really well as a video game adaptation. Oh, all right. But yeah, I'll save that. For, Let's save I'll that, save that, that for, for another week. episode. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, in two weeks. But um, yeah. In terms of other stuff, fuck, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like old, like classic, like 80s or 90s horror stuff. I mean. I don't know. Blair Witch had a modern game, but like it wasn't great. I'd love to see another entry into that. I think they could. I think they could explore that more. the The mechanics were excellent. It could go bigger. Yeah, I mean, I'm. I want to see more werewolf stuff. Oh, you know what? Okay, um, uh, an American werewolf in London. I reckon that I could get a really solid remake. I wonder. I know people have had attempts at stuff like that. I wonder if that's suffering from the same problem of star power of like to make a modern version of that sell, you're probably going R-rated. And for that to make yeah, money- that, that kind of movie would have to be R-rated. Right? And for that to work, you need a big name because R-rated movies with no names tend to make no money. I think it's also tricky as well because like uh, an American Werewolf in London would be a, a classic example of like the original movie being so like, like really good and well-regarded and people like don't want to like touch it and make a new one because of how good and how like- I mean, nothing's ever perfect, but how perfect that one is perceived to be, especially mm. with like the practical animatronic, like, yeah, because like work you, that, that, that they were doing. It's like it's like a similar case when you look at the 2011 prequel for the thing, yeah, right? Yeah, being like in theory and in concept, awesome, but it 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 does not nearly match the level of the original, yeah. right? It lacks that je ne sais quoi, yeah. But you know, I reckon a video game for Cube, we, I might, I might, you know, maybe, maybe uh, in time for the next episode because like the next episode we're going to be talking about. 
uh, Cube and um, I forget the name of it, but the one that just came out on PlayStation Plus. Meet Your Maker. Meet Your Maker, yeah. Maybe you'll make some time to, to come up with a quick concept idea yeah. of, of what a video game adaptation for Cube could look like. That could be fun. I think it could be. I think there's a lot of room for interesting takes, right? Like uh, you don't uh, – there was a game I played recently called Observer – and that was fascinating because it's a psychological thriller and maybe a little bit cyberpunky, but there's no like shooting. There's no like stunts. It's it's a puzzle detective game. Have you played Amnesia to Dark Descent? Yeah. Yeah. Same vibes. Yeah. Where you, I think there's room to explore adaptations of films that were really good. Or, Amnesia could get a good film right? remake. Actually. There's a way to do this where you're 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 getting to the core of the thing or the spiritual nature of the thing. So you could do. There, I'm sure there's a way to do a video game adaptation of something like an American Werewolf in, in London without it needing to be an I action mean, I, horror game. I was even just thinking like for American Werewolf, like a new movie in that in that. Oh, in yeah. That I mean. Or, or even like a, do like a sequel. We've already established that werewolves are real and like there's a weird beast that was killed in yeah, London yeah. And, and like would have got news coverage. 20 years later, 30 years later. See, I do like those. Instead of doing a remake... Do do a sequel, like actually, like like do a like a continuation, like yeah. re- really, like a, like explore, like yeah. where where this world and where this could have gone. Exactly, yeah. I, I think that's that, that's that more be, interesting to that, me. That could be really interesting. But yeah, oh man, Dead Space and Event Horizon, fucking, they're just gold. They're and just really good. They work really well together. They really do. I think it was similar with like when we looked at. Um, Firefly in the Outer Worlds. Yeah, yeah. Where, where like, you know, the, there's like a clear, like easy connection you can to, feel to, the to DNA. choose it as a pairing. Yeah. I think Event Horizon and Dead Space were similar. We're like, okay, well, they're both like sci-fi horror. Uh, let's but see, it goes let's so much deeper goes. than that. They share so much like yeah. beat for beat, sim- similar like tropes and, and, and story points and themes yeah. and, and the way they explore things. Honestly, phenomenal. I'd, I'd highly recommend this to anyone. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Even, even if people like aren't hugely into horror, like... Watch Event Horizon. Well, yeah, watch Event Horizon anyway. It's so good. It's so weird. It's so fucked. I love it's, it so it's much. Fucked. I love it. Oh my God. <laughs> that's that's what should be the, the number one review. It's fucked. I, I love say it. that about so many like weird horror horror things yeah. that I that I enjoy. It, like word for word, like, oh it's fucked. I love it so much. That's how you know it's good. Yeah. That's a that's a five star review. Fuck yeah. All right. Well, this has been Dead Space and Event Horizon. Uh and this has been we 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 went on a little bit of a tangent, but honestly, I really enjoyed it. I think I think we're at there, our best there, when we forget what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> but it's also like it's really fun to like think of, like you know you think about one thing behind the scenes and then you go through all the other stuff and like going on that journey is always really interesting to me. Yeah, it's like I'm always going to be here for that. I don't. I, yeah. I never want to stop doing that. Exactly. Yeah, and that's why we do this because it gives us an excuse to randomly go off on tangents and think about what we yeah. actually want to think about. Yeah, this is, this, is, this is us doing it because we want to, but, yeah. you know, why not? Is Hopefully that- the audience doesn't mind that we, <laughs> we go off the rails. Awesome. All right, Dead Space and Event Horizon. Fuck yeah, done. Love it. See you next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>